0: Okay, so welcome back to Movie Food. Um, this episode is going to be slightly different from what you're used to because I'm actually um, doing it solo without Steve. This is my first episode uh, without Steve. Uh, I miss him, and hopefully we'll, he'll he'll come back and uh, we'll be back with a new episode with him. Uh, but I'm not actually doing it completely alone because I have a guest today. Our very first guest on Movie Food.
1: It's Brandon Boozer. Welcome, Brandon. Yes, all, uh, uh, honored to be so. Um, <laughs> thank yeah, you. man. I, I was saying I miss Steve too. I haven't met him yet, but uh, I've 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 yeah. listened to you guys Soon. talk for like uh, you know like eight hours in total at yeah. this point. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well. Yeah.
0: You're one of our most loyal listeners, and we definitely appreciate that for sure.
1: Um, I am. I am. I actually. I was. I was listening to some podcasts when you guys released your last episode, um, mm-hmm. and then it just like I. Won, one podcast ended, and then you must have uploaded it right then, and it just went right into it. Um, so I was like, I was like, all right, well, let's go, and you I just listened to the went whole thing for the full marathon, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's awesome. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, you know, we we definitely you know we haven't even done this episode yet, but we definitely want you back already. Um, yeah, well, uh, we'll, I don't, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you want to reveal your your twiddle Twitter handle on this episode, but
1: it relates to that, to your Twitter um, handle. Well, we'll uh, we'll say it for the end of the episode. If okay, I, sure. I'll think about it. It yeah. depends on uh, it depends on some of the things I might say here. <laughs> okay, no problem. But for sure, you are a father. That's true. Yeah. So um, we is, would. This is true
0: yeah we would definitely like to have you back for Father's Day especially because Steve is also a dad I'm that not would be awesome but yeah um, I already have an idea of, of what movie we can uh, cover for Father's Day so awesome yeah, that, that's only yeah. a couple months away I'm all for it yeah oh um, my god I know yeah right June man it's crazy so yeah Brandon tell me what have you been watching lately what's what's been happening
1: uh, is this my quick cuts
0: Yeah, yeah, you get your own quick cuts. I get get my quick cuts. Quick (laughs) cuts. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) quick cuts. (laughs) I
1: do like it. It's good. Um, Yeah, you know, I actually haven't been watching too much um, recently, um, outside of Friedkin movies, um, because when you asked me to do the episode, I was actually just kind of starting a little bit of a Friedkin binge. Oh wow! With uh, with To Live and Die in L.A. and Sorcerer, um, French Connection, um, and then I watched Twelve Angry Men, uh, which I thought that his adaptation of that is is really great. Um, uh, but outside of that, uh, I'm sure we'll talk more Friedkin along the way. Um, but outside yeah, of that, I mean, uh, I think I discovered one of my like new all time favorite movies, um, The Quiet Man. I watched it in oh, March, and I had yes. never seen it before. Oh my God, I think I, I just had this too. I think I just had this preconceived notion that I just wouldn't like it. And mm-hmm. I, I watched it and I was just, I was totally just taken in. Like oh my God, yes. like, yeah, it's um, beautiful.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it, it's kind of a, a forgotten movie too. Uh, for those who don't know, The Quiet Man is, if we're thinking about the same movie, it's the John Wayne movie directed it, by John Ford, right? Yeah, and, um, you know, I mean, obviously it's gotten like a restoration and a couple of special editions on on Blu-ray. But I feel like it's still kind of underappreciated and underseen. And, um, you know, I'm not like a big John Ford fan. That was probably only my second John Ford movie after My Mm -hmm. Darling Clementine. And, yeah, I just loved it because it's just such a strange movie for both of them, for John Wayne and John Ford, I feel, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, um, and the I think the last because I think I have the most recent Blu-ray edition, and that was released back in like mm-hmm. 2012. It's been a while. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I know TCM was presenting a theatrical run for it um, on mm. St. Patrick's Day for like the 7, 70th <laughs> anniversary. Um, oh wow! It's that I, old, and, huh? I it was actually playing in in, in my town on um, on Amazing. the seventh. Uh, I didn't get to go see it uh at the theater which was a bummer but um i had just watched it for the first time like two days before (laughs) Mm, and i just yeah i just fell in love and now it's now it's the movie i I used to to put myself to sleep in a good way (laughs) amazing yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's
0: a lovely film that way all those um the roaring lilt of the irish accent (laughs) is in full form and you know shout out to uh... uh oh go ahead maureen o'hara is incredible in she's, it too she's you know?
1: gorgeous yeah
0: yeah and you know it's in full color so obviously all the red hair uh in the movie is uh yeah because it's a different kind of uh color too that you don't really see in movies anymore you know um it's kind of uh it, it's very enhanced like very um how would i describe it like oversaturated is what it looks like, you know, and Definitely. I, I I don't even know if you can get that effect on digital. Like it really is like a film type of color. And
1: it's it's so bizarre because I know that, you know, John Ford did shoot on location as much as possible, and I did I do know that mm-hmm. he did shoot on location for The Quiet Man. But there's some times when you're looking at him like I, I genuinely can't tell if this is like, real life or a painting or like a painted backdrop. Right, right, and it's yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that town really exists,
0: um, Innisfree. And actually, um, uh, there's this Spanish filmmaker I really like, um, Jose Luis Guerin. And he has a movie called Innisfree where he goes back to the locations of of The Quiet Man. Now, yeah, I've forgotten about it. Now I'm curious. I want to go see that movie now (laughs) uh, that Guerin made about the locations. Because, yeah, I mean, Quiet Man is, like, one of those movies that it's on my stack perpetually of like rewatches it's just one of those movies that i can just put on and just have a good time you know
1: yeah and and even if you're just watching it for you know for for fun I, because i i i throw it on and i don't even really focus on um john wayne anymore <laughs> i just love uh barry fitzgerald as a like the oh, town yeah, yeah the town quarter the guy who you know, brings him back to Innisfree. I mean, he's hilarious. Every yeah. every little every little movement, yeah. every word out of his mouth is just knocks when, me dead. When he's
0: he's trying to guess John Wayne's height, uh, <laughs> they're they're on the the cart, the horse and buggy,
1: and he's like, and he's like, yeah. he's a millionaire, like every American. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just gold, pure gold, it, man. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, but I also. Um, I haven't talked to you about this yet. I don't think because I, oh, I, I, I don't know if you if you do, but I've been playing Elden Ring, um, oh yeah. as much as possible lately. So that's kind of interfered, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, taken up all my little free time that I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah you know, how how does it feel like
0: difficulty wise for you? Because I've know, heard a lot about I man.
1: It's the first FromSoft game that I've ever played. Um, oh wow! Okay. And uh, it's actually weird because I, I started playing it on on Xbox and I thought it was so difficult, um, mm. because I just I'm, I'm also just like, bad, like I love video games but I'm bad at them I'm really bad, mm-hmm. um, so I don't really know what possessed me to <laughs> to go for this one or any okay. FromSoft game for that matter yeah. but, um, and then the other day um, so I've been I had been trying to get a PS5 and I got an opportunity to 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 get one and so nice. I got it. And I got another copy of Elden Ring because my brother plays on PS5 mm-hmm. and in um, on the other side of the country, so um, so we can play together and stuff. And I just it, it feels much easier on there. I don't know if that's okay. I don't know if that's anything, but um, but yeah, it's also really. Um, I mean, for people who play Elden Ring, if they listen to this, um, I can only play like 25, 30 minutes at a time. <laughs> gotcha. So so like I haven't done anything, but I still have like. Many hours sunk yeah, into the game, I mean, but I'm not very far. at
0: all. <laughs> yeah, a, a boss battle could take you half an hour, right? <laughs> if you're oh, dying and and playing it over and
1: over. Oh yeah, I mean that's dependent on how many times you give it a shot <laughs> before you give up.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean I I don't play the game, but uh, my uncle who I live with does, and he he he's played these games before. Like actually, yeah. he considers Um Sekiro to be a much harder game. Uh, than than Elden ring that's the hardest game he's ever played uh but he yeah i can still hear him like struggling with it when he plays the game and i've (laughs) I've watched like yeah it's just crazy how the ai of the the bosses are you know it's like they they rarely let up and like they have all these like crazy moves that um you know basically it's like how can you win against some of these moves (laughs) it's
1: yeah no it's it's not still just you know it's one two hits you're done if you can even get away right. from them or even yeah at all um yeah it's it's so unforgiving but you gotta just <laughs> right you gotta just find the the humor in it i think yeah yeah it's, so, it's kind of like an anti-video game to me and right i kind of like that <laughs> okay all right um yeah I, I
0: i started playing this video game called sifu um mm-hmm. yeah and I, I highly recommend it it's a lot of fun it, it's also pretty challenging Also, because um, the the mechanics that they've added that has a twist to it is that every time you die, you age. So your your fight, yeah, your player keeps getting older and older, and then obviously (laughs) like your your repertoire of moves like lessen. But then you also like become tougher. It's like um you know it's uh, your health also improves as you grow older but yeah it's such a challenging game and i mean some people have already done speed runs to it and that's insane to me that, is, that sounds
1: yeah. awful yeah <laughs> but i'm, <and> I'm interested
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know we don't really get many martial arts games or of this caliber and um you know it, it it uses like kind of cell animation style or um not cell um rotoscope um animation all right so you've been playing elden ring um and you've been on a friedkin binge which is perfect because that's what we got you on for is to discuss a william friedkin movie but uh before we get into that um i just want to talk about briefly uh, my quick cuts what i've been watching oh yeah um yeah i mean you know i'm on a steady diet of watching stuff all the time so i just want to do like some highlights um actually just before we started recording, I watched for the second time, uh, this crazy Telugu Indian movie, um uh Triple R that's what I'm calling it, instead of R R R because that kinda sounds like a pirate. But oh my god, it still holds up even on second viewing. So um you haven't gotten around to seeing this, have you, Brandon?
1: No, I was going to go see it on Saturday. Um oh. but then I had the I I only got a PS5 instead. (laughs) Uh, no, well, you know, I mean,
0: that works out. But, yeah, I mean, I would say just try and catch it while it's still in theaters. Because, um, yeah, it's just amazing. And I watched it with my uncle. And, uh, he's not usually... He doesn't really watch, like, subtitled movies. You know, we mainly watch, like, studio movies together. Maybe, like, the closest to, like, indie would be, like, an A24 movie. But, um yeah i i guess because i was so like um enthusiastic about this movie he was like okay i'll I'll go see it with you so we went to watch it today and he was like this is one of the greatest movies i've ever seen yeah wow <laughs> like that yeah that's how he felt about it like he was just so floored by it and yeah for me like for it to hold up even on the second viewing because it's just i didn't know where it was going. The first time around, but the yeah, the second time around, knowing uh, what was going to happen, um, yeah, it still was ex- as exciting. And they the the movie theater I saw it in the first time was like kind of one of those premium format ones. It was like a Cinemark mm-hmm. XD format, so I thought, oh, that probably helped. That you know, it's this massive screen, and then um, you know, the it had like twelve speakers on each side of the screen, so it was like super loud. But then I watched it in a regular AMC theater this time around and it was still just as loud as the first time I saw That's it. That's awesome. Yeah, it 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 made me think of um like you know how I don't know if you ever saw that like Kubrick had those notes for the projectionist for um Barry Lyndon I think it was. Um No, I, it, I don't. Yeah. Yeah, and I I have a feeling like this movie has, like, a note that just basically says, please crank up the volume to the max <laughs> for this movie because we want, like, you to be, like, completely just blown away by it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the the thing about it is it's not even, like, the story isn't that remarkable. Like, it's a pretty standard uh, plot, but it's just the invention of, like, um, the direction and the shots that it chooses to do. And, I mean... You know how many climaxes does um does a typical like blockbuster have? You know, would you say, Brandon? How many do
1: you think? Oh, um, nowadays, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I don't know, three, four. Yeah, I mean, I I
0: would say even <laughs> like two if we're lucky. There's always usually that that one like final showdown, but this movie has like five to six climaxes and they're all incredible <laughs> like i, I mean i'm really it. hyping yeah i'm really hyping this movie up but it it it's really worth the hype even with all its flaws like the there's just something about it the sheer energy and momentum that it has is just man it's something else
1: yeah it's i mean it's not to judge movies by the trailers but the trailer for this movie is just is great it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah if, if, if that's if it's if it's the same energy as the trailer i mean i'm all in yeah um and it's still playing near me uh, mm-hmm. probably for, uh, for a while now so i still have plenty of time to to get it in. yeah
0: yeah for sure um i think it got because i think it was supposed to just do one week in uh premium formats and then it's just annoying because it got pushed out by morbius so morbius took over all the premium formats and um so now it's only playing regular <laughs> formats but you know it, it still holds
1: up even in the regular screenings so yeah well that's good to so know that... um it's good to know that Morbius is getting the, the special treatment
2: yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure you know because everybody's been anticipating Morbius you know
1: A Morbius madness um, throughout the nation I and mean, that's what we're going to talk yeah, about today I... right
0: yeah yeah I mean I, I was even hearing like these conspiracy theories that the uh, movie theaters were actually holding back the numbers, you know, but
1: it was actually like a box office hit, you know, oh yeah, so yeah I mean yeah. i did I did go see it mm-hmm. five times in preparation for today's uh <laughs> there you go, so um, yeah, just you today easily spent yeah
0: <laughs> just today, so yeah, you easily spent a hundred bucks. Yeah. Um you know that should go to like it being a you know sequel lining up and them signing um you know uh, like uh Jared Leto to like a multi film deal <laughs> playing I
1: can, Michael, Michael Morbius. Uh, and and, and I, I I honest question I don't know how mm. he just he keeps getting the, the roles that he and he keeps getting the treatment that he does. I haven't I right. haven't seen a single thing. Where I thought, wow, that's a good actor, um, and I'm, I try not to be that, right. main, but he's he's so um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: displeasing, unpleasant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, you know, he's he's already considered to be the worst Joker of all time, uh, so you know, I there's that. that. But I don't know. I mean, like. Yeah, yeah, his earlier roles weren't too bad. Like, I, I mean, I thought he was very good in Requiem for a Dream, but you know, he was also supposed to be an annoying shit in that, so <laughs> it, it works out for him in in, yeah. in that role. But yeah, I mean, the, all these stories about his his method acting is just um, yeah. The you know, did you hear that one about uh, how it it took him like forty five minutes to like go to the bathroom? No. Like, just to get to the bathroom because he was limping, you know, <laughs> as Dr. Michael Morbius. Like, he... So, um, yeah.
1: It, 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 hurt, it hurts my head, but I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's not, we've already given it enough airtime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i i i forgot about what else i i was gonna say that i've been watching the morbid <laughs> stands than, um, are gonna review yeah, bomb the, yeah. the
2: podcast
0: <laughs> yeah yeah we're gonna get a lot of one star reviews on um on apple podcasts that's gonna happen i'm i'm expecting them to all come out um yeah but uh what else have i been watching lately I, i've kind of been on like uh action movie kick of late actually that's the the thing that I, I mean i would consider triple r to be an action movie even though it, it's it's more than that you know yeah. uh but I've, I've been going back to like older action movies like you know 80s and early 90s action movies and um you know i've been enjoying them like i i watched like steven seagal's um hard to kill i don't know if you've ever seen that i haven't oh I don't think uh, I've ever seen the yeah it's a movie wow really yeah, yeah well i mean shout out world. to <laughs> yeah exactly i mean shout out <laughs> to um to scott thorough of uh zebras uh because he kind of got me on it a little bit because he was talking about um uh outlaw Vern mm-hmm. and how yeah. uh yeah Vern like has you know i guess he has, has done like book yeah yeah an entire book on seagal and and you know i never really thought about it because like um I guess the two Seagal movies that I'd seen up until this point were just, like, um, I enjoyed them, but, like, I never really thought, oh, yeah, let me get into his movies and see, you know, actually check out his body of work. And, um, uh, yeah, the, the two movies that I'd seen previous to Hard to Kill was um, Executive Decision, which, um, for those who haven't seen it, like, um, <laughs> he's barely in the movie. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert. But, yeah. Um, Uh, The other one, which I really enjoyed, was um, actually um, uh, Under Siege 2. And I'd never seen the first Under Siege. And I was still able to enjoy Under Siege 2. (laughs) You know, and uh, Eric Bogosian plays the villain in it. And he's brilliant. Uh, And especially knowing who Eric Bogosian is. (laughs) Yeah, serious pedigree. And he's playing an action movie villain. Uh, But yeah, it was really enjoyable. And when I was actually asking Scott what his favorite... um, uh, Steven Seagal movies were yeah, Under Siege 2 was up there for him, so yeah uh, I that's definitely going to merit the rewatch I have like, I, I I fell asleep watching Out for Justice so I, I need to rewatch that uh, well, yeah, see it all the way through but yeah, so far like the whole thing with Steven Seagal movies is that, um, I don't know, I mean I enjoy the action, but I also find them really funny like there's just something about him, you know. He's like this big lumbering you know? dude, yeah. Yeah, and there's just a goofy aspect to the movies that I, you know, I find charming, you know.
1: And there has to so, be that um, aspect of just knowing the things that he's doing now, and just the way the way he is now. Right. And you're watching those, and you're just kind of like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? But uh, yeah, yeah, that's I a mean, whole the, world I gotta get into.
0: Yeah, I mean, Alfred justice, he's playing an Italian American with the accent. And it's just like awesome. as absurd as you would think, you know. Um, and, yeah, it has a great car chase scene in it, too. Um, it takes place mostly in, in Brooklyn. So, uh, yeah, uh, I definitely want to finish Out for Justice. Out for Justice actually seems like it's more of a standout Steven Seagal movie. Um, hard to kill. Like, it's. I enjoyed it in spite of its terrible director. Like, who made terrible choices. And even Stagall mentioned that, that he, th- he thought... um oh, I can't even remember the director's name. It's like Bruce starts with an M. Uh, yeah, like, he was just, like, such a terrible director in terms of, um you know, uh, the shots that he chose while they were shooting the action sequences. And you can just tell. But somehow there's, like, this goofy charm that still comes through in the movie, uh, despite all of that, uh, the terrible direction, so it's still worth watching.
1: Bruce Bruce Malmuth.
0: Bruce Malmuth, yeah, that's it. That's the, yeah. the name of the director. So yeah, um, terrible to director. The, uh, Nighthawks. Oh, I, I've never even seen that, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. I, I like uh, okay.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's the other thing about Out for Justice. Uh, John Flynn is a more capable director. Because John Flynn actually directed this movie that I think you might appreciate, um, called uh, *The Outfit* with Robert Duvall. And um, yeah, I haven't seen it's it. It's a yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I, I I don't know many people who have. And the only reason why I know about it is that because it's it's part of um the Donald Westlake uh, Parker universe. <laughs> so, uh, I I you're familiar with Donald Westlake, right?
1: No. Uh, So he's this, this yeah, he's
0: like this hard-boiled mystery writer, um, well, mystery kind of noir, hard-boiled noir, um, writer, and he, um, uh, he wrote these books uh, with this main character as Parker, and he actually wrote under a pseudonym, uh, Richard Stark, and I mean the most famous adaptation is um, Point Blank, um, so uh, the outfit which um. Yeah, not to be confused with the recent Mark Rylance movie that came out. Um, <laughs> yeah, The Outfit was actually a movie that Robert Duvall did in Between the Two Godfathers. So he did it in uh, 73, um, and it's directed by John Flynn, who also directed um, uh, Out for Justice. And yeah, it, it's an outstanding like Parker adaptation. Um. So yeah, it, it's worth seeking out if you. Can, uh, yeah, I don't even know if it's been released on on disc or if it's available streaming anywhere. Like yeah. Which, it, which one was this? Out for Justice. No. Ah, uh, the outfit. Oh, the yeah. outfit. Yeah, the previous. Oh, the, 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 that, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that John Flynn directed. But yeah, so that's just mainly been my diet. I've been uh, <laughs> watching a lot of action stuff. Uh, I feel like I I need to kind of balance it out with more um, kind of esoteric um well this is uh to to live and
1: die in la is not the one to do that with
0: (laughs) (laughs) not at all yeah (laughs) exactly um yeah i mean i guess we can get into it now uh but beforehand um yeah let's just talk about william friedkin absolutely yeah what an interesting character you know what a guy um you know uh how did he get his start do you remember
1: um. Yeah. Uh. He was actually. Uh. He's. You know. He's such a storyteller. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Even. You know. Outside of his films. Like, so. I've. I've listened to so many, podcasts he's been on and interviews and just the, he loves to tell, you know, kind of the same stories over and over again. Well, and, and you yeah. know, and a slight twist here and there each time, and it's, it's really great. But his uh, the the way he had started was um, he, um he was working at a tv station he had mm-hmm. just i don't know picked out of the picked out of the newspaper just a job at a tv station that was hiring um in chicago because he's from chicago he grew up in chicago um and he went to an interview at one uh station um and they gave him the job um but then they told him uh we're not actually the one who posted the job the station that he wanted to go to was the one across the street uh, <laughs> uh wow. but they hired him anyway um Amazing. And, uh, so he eventually got started working on uh, just on on you know just broadcast here and there um and then he eventually went to one of the studios to that he was working with um to to kind of to green light this um documentary on paul crump uh do you know about this no, yeah. Um, so his uh, his first um, movie was a documentary that he made. It was like a, and it was I think it was through public broadcast. But Paul Crump was a guy who um, was on death row in Illinois um, for murder, um, and pretty much everyone, including the people in um, the mayor, I believe, didn't think that he was guilty uh, but there was some other I, I, I don't know the exact logistics of it off the top of my head some other governing body that controls the um you know the sentencing or whatever of, of commuting the mm-hmm. sentence um at least at yeah. that time um but he he made this documentary it's like a, just over an hour long I think um and the reception to the documentary in Chicago was so huge um that it got Paul Crump it didn't, you know, it wasn't fully commuted a sentence, but it got him off of death row and commuted to wow. life in prison, which you know is not exactly the success story that it sounds like. But um, you know, he did kind of, he, did, uh, he just saved his life uh, technically. I think I think he says that Paul Crump got out about fifteen years later on parole, um, but uh, you know, he did, you know, it, he got him off death row and he did get out eventually. And that's and that's so that's yeah. such a incredible way to enter the film world <laughs> to start a career. Yeah, you know.
0: exactly. And um yeah, so he kind of started out with documentaries. That was really his his background. Yeah. And we can see how like that informs his fiction work. Definitely. Um, yes. 100%. Yeah.
1: I mean, at, at the French connection as much as to live and die in LA, like, he definitely does his homework. He spends a lot of time Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he spent a lot of time with, you know, um, with cops growing up. As far as I understand, um, and they had cops kind of all around the production for French Connection. And um, he actually wrote to Die in L.A. Um, to live and die in L.A. with the Secret Service agent who he based the, the, the oh. movie off of. Um, yeah, oh, I did a, not know actually that. He actually has a screenplay credit. You watch the movie, it says, Wow, written okay. by William Friedkin, and, and then the
0: other guy's name, <laughs> uh, Gerald, uh, Petovich? Yeah, Petovich, yeah, 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 yeah. He he wrote a novel too that that was mm-hmm. it was based on. Okay, cool, yeah. So it it seems like, um, yeah, I so he he made a bunch of documentaries, and then I, I feel like, um I'd heard of this movie, but I'd never seen it before. Um, the Boys in the Band was, like, mm-hmm. kind of his um, fictional, uh, I guess, uh, debut,
1: I want to say. Yeah, I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't seen it either. Um, although oh, just... he did
0: the, the Birthday Party, too. I forgot about The Birthday yeah, Party. Yeah, the, the Harold yeah. Pinter. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So he was doing adaptations of, of plays because Boys in the Band is also a play as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He... I I did I those um, both those movies and some uh, a lot of his other earlier movies um, have a kino releases and they just they they might be still having the sale a lot of them were on sale I just grabbed them all (laughs) I Um, just
0: found this out he he also did a Sonny and share movie yeah good times (laughs) right wow
1: okay. I, I don't know exactly where that falls in the in the mm. freaking filmography, but that's... Oh, I, I, I got to see this one. <laughs> uh, Kino released that one, and I did buy that Blu-ray. I'm going to watch wow. it. Wow. <laughs>
0: yeah, and just, you know, when you were talking about Paul Crump, I couldn't help but think of, um, you know, the Errol Morris documentary, Thin Blue Line, and then I see on his filmography... Willem Friedkin has a documentary called The Thin Blue Line as well. Yeah, it
1: came out, I think, well before. um, Yeah, yeah, like in
0: the 60s. This was his, like, documentary period. And, yeah, most of them were for TV. Um, But, yeah, so he kind of had that indie period. And then French Connection was really, like, the announcement, like, you know, the heralding of, okay, this is a major filmmaker. You know, it was like that was the period, you know. Early seventies, like you know, all of these. Uh, was he part of the the movie brats group, like of uh, Scorsese and and? You no, know, uh, I don't think Spielberg. so. I think he was. Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, as far as I know, he very much seemed like a like an outlier, uh, mm-hmm. where he was just kind of doing his own thing, right? And just ended up hitting it, you know? Yeah, um,
0: yeah. And I mean, man, with this film, you know, it's like it won Best Picture that year and uh, one gene hackman best actor Mm -hmm. so yeah it was it was massive and you know
1: he and i mean that's that's hackman and scheider's breakout uh all right and uh and and the 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 crazy thing is is that throughout the filming of the french connection friedkin didn't think that hackman was working he didn't think it worked (laughs) he was you know he was very iffy about hackman um but it yeah it definitely yeah it all works and it it, you know for those
0: Yeah, for those who still haven't seen it, you know, it's a movie that's, you know, uh, 50 years old at this point. Um, I mean, it has one of the great endings in any movie
1: I've seen. Yeah,
0: it's just such an incredible ending, and we won't spoil it for you. But everybody knows about the car chase, of course, the legendary elevated train
1: car chase. Um, That he didn't do with any permission (laughs) or regard (laughs) for human life. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs>
0: well it, it seems like that's what you know you needed um like you know all these mavericks, these American film mavericks in, in that emerged in the 70s or late 60s like that's just really mm-hmm. what you you got a sense of of you know they they just took risks and um, you know, and he follows up the French connection with the Exorcist, which was just notorious you know it was like it's still a film that that uh, produces controversy and uh, uh I mean I yeah was, sorry go ahead. I'm sorry
1: go ahead. I'm just, I was just gonna say I mean that's the that's kind of the breakout movie in my life oh, okay um, that's the first movie I saw um that I saw what you know what those is the first horror movie that I saw maybe that I ever saw no oh. because I saw it way too young. Mm-hmm. Way, way, way too young. And I went to Catholic school for, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, through elementary school through middle school. Um, and one that was not progressive, to boot. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, and when you have that, I think when you have that background, movies like that are, they hit a little harder. They hit a little differently. Um, especially when you're a kid. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's really terrifies you to the core of everything that you understand at that point to be true right (laughs) you know um so yeah it made a huge imprint on me and it wasn't until you know years later Um, um that I kind of found out who William Friedkin was and and you know and expanded my love for film um but that was kind of the catalyst that kind of made me understand like what movies could be um, definitely at a, at a very young age too and you know that movie gave me such terrible nightmares <laughs> to the point and that they were so ingrained in my brain from like from having that catholic upbringing that like I'm I'm 20 uh, going to be 28 and I still have like the same nightmares I had when I was like you know 9 years old yeah man oh yeah happy
0: birthday by the way yeah by the time this episode drops it's it will have been your birthday already (laughs) yes so happy birthday man thank
1: you thank you um Um, yeah it's just a very informative movie for me and it's just it's just Mm. and uh and and Friedkin just kind of ending up being one of my guys i guess um you know it's just he's always kind of been there (laughs) yeah (laughs) for sure you know when i didn't know it
0: yeah, and it's it's a strange movie too, in the sense that, um, and it, it kind of foreshadows a later movie, which is probably my favorite William Friedkin movie. Like, um, it has a, a long prologue before it even gets started with the actual characters, you know. Hey. Um, and yeah, that that's kind of become his. Uh, I I want to say it's like his his trademark is having a a you know something to just establish. I, I almost feel like I would compare it to like hearing an orchestra tuning up, you know, at the beginning of a, yeah, a concert. Um, Yeah. He has that. Yeah. Like he, he takes his time and it's crazy for me with my experience with the exorcist. um, You know, I'm, I I was also, I wasn't raised Catholic, but you know, my family is Catholic Mm. in quotes and, um, uh, and exorcisms are a big deal in the Philippines. And, there's even like Halloween specials right. where that's what they tend to feature are exorcisms, like real exorcisms. And I had vaguely heard about this movie and I couldn't see it because um, it when I was in England at that time, when I heard about it, uh, it was still banned in the UK. Like, really? <laughs> Yeah, there was no way oh to God. see it. And I, yeah, and I even remember I went on a school trip to France and so we crossed the channel and um, I saw a videotape of it in the, um, it was actually the Tower Records that was at the Louvre at that time, which is now I guess an Apple Store, but it used to be a oh. Tower Records. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know it's under those glass pyramids. Um, and I saw a video of it, and I was like, "Damn, this is like this is illegal. Like this is contraband right now." Right. Yeah, because I remember, yeah. yeah, Exorcist and um Clockwork Orange were the two like big ones that that were banned for the longest time, and this was like. I want to say late nineties and it was still unavailable. Like you couldn't see the exorcist. Um, the only thing that I had to come by was like um, this documentary by Mark Kermode, the film critic, like, cause it's, it's his favorite yeah. movie. So he, he's, he's talked about it uh, at length and he made this documentary about it. And that, that was it. And at that time they were still talking about like how they couldn't fit in the spider walk scene because that was a deleted scene. And then, you know, obviously okay. later on, they re- restored it and included it in the mo- in the movie. But beforehand, it was just one of those things. And you actually see it like um, William Friedkin and and um, uh, who's the author? William Peter Blatty, like they're they're discussing it and they you see it in real time, like they them figuring out how the shot sequence should have been for it to make sense. And they're like oh man if we had done that then we could have kept it in the movie (laughs) and then eventually i guess yeah they did you know they uh, so yeah it's incredible and you know he um so after that like he i guess he took a break for a while i don't know maybe the movie making that movie was such a i can imagine how how draining it it was for him and You know, you hear these stories about uh, Linda Blair and how, like, um, you know, her experience of of making that movie was. um, So, uh, yeah. So he he follows it up with, four years later, The Sorcerer. Oh, Sorcerer, not The Sorcerer. (laughs) um, Which is my favorite um, uh, freaking film. I think Uh, it might
1: be my new favorite, too. Yeah,
0: Yeah. man. It's just... I mean, again talking about that long prologue <laughs> before the movie yeah. even starts yeah, uh, yeah. also one I, of
1: the great endings I mean it's very similar mm-hmm. to the French Connection but in, in in a way um but yeah one of the great Yeah endings.
0: yeah and uh I think the misfortune that this movie had was basically it opened at the same time as Star Wars did so <laughs> <laughs> it had no chance you know in ni- summer of 1997 uh oh 1977 and it's just man uh oh, uh but yeah it, it to me like it just holds up i i i've never seen wages of fear but and uh, now i, I feel either. like yeah it, i i just i can't imagine like wages of fear would be any better <laughs> um, yeah i'm definitely
1: interested in in watching it um but uh yeah it's 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 going to be hard to top <laughs> right
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, and, and and we're getting to the point now where basically, you know, um, uh, all this enthusiasm for these new talents that were emerging in the 70s, like I think the studios, it was really starting to wear on the studios. They were realizing, oh man, we're we're giving them, you know, too much power. And, you know, he's he was right in like the eye of the storm because, you know, 1980 was the flashpoint. You know, that was really it because that was, you know, Heaven's Gate uh raging bull also came out that year and then you know obviously his movie was um cruising <laughs> which yeah. is probably his most
1: controversial
0: movie yeah.
1: with the brink's that... job in between which i haven't seen um,
0: oh oh yeah 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 he may i forgot about the the brink's job yeah uh, i haven't seen that one either um but cruising was the yeah was like the key film um and you've, you've seen this too right
1: i saw it you know it was um when i was in when i was in must have been 2017 or something um mm. and i heard um i heard his episode of wtf with Marin, um yeah where it's it's essentially william freaking talking at mark Marin for over two hours um, <laughs> it's a great it, episode which, which is fantastic yeah you know, it's like i don't i don't I don't give a sh- when, when Friedkin's talking to somebody. I don't give a shit what the other person has to say. <laughs> I just want to hear Friedkin talk. Actually, yeah, except there's a there's there's a there was he did a podcast with Guillermo del Toro. Oh, uh, okay. Right after The Shape of Water won, um, best picture, and that's a really great conversation between the two. But we that's mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, we can talk about that later. Yeah. Um, but so it was, uh, right after I had heard that episode, I was like, okay, I'm rewatching The Exorcist. I'm gonna go find a. Figure out where the hell I can watch Cruising, um, because it, it just it, it I was so interested in it at the time um, I couldn't find anywhere to watch it. Uh, yeah, I, it was it was pretty to, obscure for a while. Yeah, I had to I had to buy a DVD yeah. on eBay for like, you know twenty dollars at the time mm-hmm. the, the the old DVD. Yeah, I had watched it then, and the DVD just like sucked. It was just like, it <laughs> yeah. awful. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like I haven't properly taken it in um since although i did get that uh so i, I went on a freaking buying spree so okay <laughs> I, I bought everything possible so, uh, nice pretty much yeah i um, saw your
0: post on twitter where you yeah. post like the photos of, of the different discs that you've gotten oh
1: uh, yeah uh, those, those are the ones i'm watching that weekend oh wow <laughs> uh, so i've got i've got more freaking the freaking weekend um, <laughs> that's perfect about to have some fun um yeah <laughs> um so I bought the cruising disc from Arrow too. I'm, I'm, so I'm very mm-hmm. excited to to uh, to put that in and experience okay. that, how how I. How I yeah, <laughs> I mean, it,
0: yeah, that that cruising in itself is is worthy of its own episode. Um, and they're they're actually it's pretty hard to top actually the. Um, uh, do you know the podcast, The Projection Booth?
1: I've heard it before. I don't mm-hmm. like, I don't listen to it frequently, but sometimes I'll just search out episodes about, you know, podcast episodes about uh, certain movies, and I, I never yeah. come across that one before.
0: Yeah, it, it's one of the most like thorough and well researched pod movie podcasts I've ever listened to. I mean, you know, they they'll dedicate like three hours. I mean, I think their their Star Wars episode is like six hours long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they they definitely will. We'll put in the time and the research, and then sometimes, yeah, they even get the the filmmakers. I mean, I love that they they either get the filmmakers and interview them, or they find like you know these interview sound bites, and you know bring it up at the appropriate time. And uh their cruising episode is one of their best, you know, because it, it covers all the controversies, what was going on during the the making of the film. And then you know, obviously, the interpretation of um, Al Pacino's character too, because it, it's just fascinating. Um, because it's not just him uh, going undercover; it's also you know the the questioning of his his sexuality, and then you know, um, uh, a lot of people feel that that uh, freaking kind of pulls punches with that, you know. And obviously, there's that that missing hour. <laughs> of footage that they they talk about, you I've know. Um, about yeah, yeah, and that uh, James Franco made a fictional version of it and called it um uh, Interior Leather Bar. I'm <laughs> you know, actually like imagining what that that hour of footage missing from Cruising is and you know, um I mean, obviously Tarantino's a fan because he stole the the Cruising theme and used it in uh In Death Proof. Um, <laughs> yeah, did he not. did. Yeah, 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 he used the music from Cruising um yeah and i mean for me like i i watched it on a halloween a few years ago and it was like the perfect halloween movie for me <laughs> you know um uh it, it does
1: get that slasher vibe
2: actually.
0: yeah yeah for sure i mean you know i was i was i was feeling like um uh you know maniac cop and i think um the the actor from maniac cop is in cruising as well uh who's that guy um he has that very unique look um I'm blanking. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh Joe Spinell. Yeah. Uh Joe Spinell. Yeah, yeah. So he he's he's in Maniac Cop and um in Cruising. Uh or Maniac, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh he's also in like Taxi Driver, oh, or maybe Rock, that's why, okay. Rock, Rocky. Yeah, he's he's a familiar face. I think he was also in one of the Godfather movies. Um So yeah, he Oh, he was also in in Sorcerer. He played Spider in sorcerer yeah and he's a uh, Willie uh, willy cc in a uh, godfather 1 Wait, and 2 he's in sorcerer yeah
1: Who well, is he in sorcerer
0: um so it, he's in the the prologue he's like the assassin guy
1: oh okay yeah yeah that's right yeah yep.
0: and and you know there's so many crazy stories about cruising <laughs> um you know that that scene where uh they they had to shoot on the street and you know they were they were getting protested all the time and um they had to like adr it because you know the protests were like the sound was <laughs> drowning out the dialogue um and um, yeah
1: he, uh, well he's not, he also got backlash for for you know similar things for um, the boys in the band oh, oh exactly I a know. decade before he got, yeah, oh, got okay. criticized for his depiction of sexuality in that movie mm. um but, but i don't think it was nearly on the on the on yeah the same caliber yeah his cruising um, the craziest thing about cruising to me is the connection with the exorcist. I mean, you know right. The, yeah. You know yeah.
0: I was going to ask story. you about that. Yeah. You want to bring that up?
1: Yeah. So in, uh, in the exorcist, um, when they're having that, um, they're, they're having that scene in the hospital when they're performing that really gruesome procedure on, on, on Regan. Um, mm-hmm. there's, uh, one of the guys, uh, I don't think he has any lines in the movie, but he's, he's in the movie. He's just, um, he's a guy who actually worked at the hospital, um, so he's in the movies just helping around in the you know during the procedure uh, he's like a tech or something um and uh later on uh he was connected to a series of uh murders of gay men and dismemberment of their bodies uh um, wow. that they would find in the hudson river um and they actually caught him um because the 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 bags were marked um as the hospital that he worked at, so they had, oh they traced him back to the hospital, um, and Friedkin actually came to interview him, and uh, you know this was some years later after The Exorcist, and um, and it's it's kind of funny because Friedkin says he 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 the, he saw him and he goes, "How's the movie doing?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like the biggest movie in the world for several years (laughs) yeah Um, man he he told uh he told freaking that he remembers killing the first two people um but they're telling me that i that i probably committed about Mm -hmm. 20 something like that yeah um and that's wild that that was the inspiration for for cruising
0: Yeah, man, and it's kind of got like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer vibes too, you know, because Jeffrey Dahmer would also kind of, um, kind of zone out, you know, when uh, uh, he would kill, and you know, this was also happening around the same time that Cruising came out, you know, (laughs) that Jeffrey Dahmer was, uh, yeah, on his uh his uh, murder, um, uh. uh, I don't want to say spree, but you know, because it took years. It's, um, yeah. it's kind
1: of incredible that there hasn't been a, like a like a like a good depiction of the Dahmer story. I don't think right. there has been. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of nuts. Um, and what people, a lot of people don't know about Dahmer, uh, not don't don't like, I don't, not to derail too much, but mm-hmm. um, is that a the big part of it is that the the Milwaukee Police Department essentially knew for a long time. Wow, um, I mean, every a lot of people know the story about the about the, the, the one. Um, was it Cambodian immigrant? Yeah, yeah, the Cambodian yeah. immigrant that escaped and told right. the police, and Dahmer just kind of like, "Oh, don't worry about him," and just took him away, and right? Just left it alone. Um, but they um, they essentially knew and didn't uh, really worry about it so much. I mean, my interpretation of it is that because they were, you know homosexual minorities and the police right kind of didn't care um that's wild and, uh, man yeah i don't think anyone I, I think that's a hard story to tell yeah um, but yeah I think someone's got to tackle that at some at some point
0: right yeah it, it it feels like a lot of these these serial killers um they they tend to be like put to like tv movie fodder, and you know it mm-hmm. it, it takes like something like um it has to be i guess something where it uses it more as a jumping off point than um an actual like you know um t- based on a true story so you know like ed gein produced two mm. classic movies you know with the uh, psycho and and texas chainsaw massacre right.
1: um
0: is, is ted uh, is ed gein also from wisconsin
1: yes oh um
0: Oh, and uh, yeah, actually, I'd be remiss to even mention um, uh, "Landscape Suicide" by James Benning is also about Edgene as well.
1: Uh, eventually, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was eventually about it. Right, Gein. right. Um, when I was in high school, we had a cop come in to talk to us, and I don't remember if it. He said it was him or his partner had shown up to the ed Gein house to arrest him oh Uh, wow yeah uh i think it was his partner i don't think it was him um but yeah it was nuts it was nuts it's just nuts being so close to those kind of things right yeah man that's so wild well i mean i mean well shit i mean you're in la i mean you're way closer yeah (laughs) oh yeah but i mean we we i mean i
0: think the most recent like serial killer that we've had is um uh who got arrested is um uh, i what was he his name um he was like uh his nickname was like the sleep dealer or something like that and i remember um uh actually the documentarian who kind of started covering it seriously was nick broomfield and that was also another thing where it was like you know the cops were kind of just turning a blind eye to it because he was murdering prostitutes you know so he he managed to get away with like killing all these women uh, for decades you know yeah. and they finally arrested him like i think in the last decade <laughs> and that, that's how long it took for them to to finally nail him but um
1: are you talking he, about um his name is not like sleep dealer the um uh the guy that michelle uh, mcnamara
0: um or? oh no he was the grim sleeper sorry lonnie grim uh sleeper. yeah lon lonnie franklin that Was his name? Oh, okay. oh and he, he passed away uh two years ago actually in March of 2020. Oh, okay. I don't know if they they executed him or um he died, but
1: yeah. Um, I was thinking of the Golden State Killer because he was
0: oh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, that they found out about that, yeah, too. And then obviously, yeah. um, you know, Richard Ramirez had that documentary, um, which I still haven't seen, um, but yeah, Oh, the one on Netflix, <laughs> there's definitely, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, it's good. And actually, this is probably a good uh, transition into to live and die in L.A. Um, it's really oh, yeah, good. of course. Yeah, we're talking um, about L.A. Okay. But the, the the main criticism of it is that it's very focused on, um, on the cops, right? Well, I mean, but, you mm-hmm. know, of course it is. Um, yeah. But in a way that they're not being very critical of how they handled it. Um, mm. But when you're actually you know watching the documentary you're like you're kind of like okay you guys said we're fucking up at every turn um <laughs> yeah uh, but they don't really the, the documentary doesn't necessarily address that you just kind of have to take that you know to yourself and that's really kind of what mm. to live and die in la is about yeah. it's about these secret service agents who are terrible at their job <laughs> yeah. they're awful I, I, don't, I don't i don't i don't know if they're not cops i guess but in a way, they're kind of cops. I, 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 I refer to them. I mean, Friedkin makes a lot of cop movies.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I would even go as far as to say that he he might not have, have been the first, but he was definitely one of the first to be known for having that. Uh, you know that there's always that scene where the cop is get, getting chewed out by his boss. Like yes. I feel like Friedkin does it so well, <laughs>
1: you know. He does yeah. And this one he does it. It's with uh with Robert Downey Senior. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and he's brilliant. He's, he's he's very he's very passive about it, but yeah. he's still it's still very good. Yeah, um, yeah. But this is a thing with Friedkin, and kind of in that you know, it's it's weird when you listen to him talk about it because he's when he talks about it, he's not very critical of police. He's mm-hmm. he, he very much kind of ascribes to the philosophy of, um, they have a very dangerous job. Um, but he does understand that they do dangerous things and act dangerously, um, to kind of meet, you know, um, and to just justify the means kind of thing. Right, um, and you know he works very closely with cops when he was making you know like The French Connection and To Live and Die Out in L.A. I and mean, he wrote the screenplay with the with the Secret Service agent, and then the movie ends up being pretty critical, you know, um, you know kind of inadvertently maybe, um, yeah. But he's, it, I, I just find it very mm-hmm. interesting to for him. He's he's very much a guy who who kind of looks right down the middle between. You know these kind of situations. Yeah, um, I I feel like he yeah, he has a that.
0: yeah he has a balanced view, and I think he's he's really more interested in in how the person is on a human level instead of an institutional yes. level. You know, yeah, um, which is a very easy um, thing to like the perspective to take uh, when it comes to cops. You know, like I I feel like there's a lot of dehumanization and like uh you know um this is basically part of a series of of movies we've been doing um, on this podcast of uh, Los Angeles plays itself, and this was definitely one of the ones that is mentioned because um, uh, there's a there's a whole part where cops are. This is an entire section on cops in in Los Angeles plays itself, and you know there's that evil cop, there's a new age cop, and um, it doesn't f- specify to live and die in L.A. for that because um, obviously they're secret service agents, but the way that like i think the way that the uh, freaking approaches it is with a lot more nuance and i don't know now that you know there's there's definitely a huge um anti cop uh stance uh, in, in the country uh, i would be curious to see how freaking would do a cop movie today you know
1: i i would i would too i i really would <laughs> although i don't know if he's interested in making Film yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I mean, how long has it been since um Killer Joe was his last movie or uh, did he do Killer something Joe, after?
1: Well, you know, it's kind of it's frustrating because Killer Joe, I believe came out in um, 2014. I can I can yeah. confirm that in just a sec and I'll keep talking until I pull up the letterbox mm-hmm. entry. Actually 2011. Yeah. Um, wow, it's been that um, long. Was, wow. Killer Joe. And mm. between then and what the, I think um, uh, what? Uh, okay, when did that come out? Okay, so oh, man. 2011 and 2017. Um, so there was supposed to be a Killer Joe TV series that he was supposed to work on and produce, um, but Matthew McConaughey didn't want to do it. Um, oh wow. he, he didn't think he could keep playing that character. Um, <laughs> but it was such a freaking, big
0: part of the McConaissance, too.
1: <laughs> I know, but yeah. McConaughey. He, you know, this is something that we'll get into, and it's something yeah. I like to talk about. Friedkin, he's so mean. He's oh, he's a okay. mean filmmaker. Oh, um, I can see that. And and McConaughey playing that character didn't like playing him. It was too. It was he was just too awful. Um, but Friedkin didn't want to, you know, continue without him. Um, there was also supposed to be around that time a "To Live and Die in L.A." TV series. Okay. Um, and I don't really know what the story of, about that is, but obviously it didn't come to fruition. Yeah. Um, and that was all between um, him making uh, his last movie, which is a, a. I don't know if you've heard about this, I haven't seen it yet um, The Devil and Father Amord.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm just looking it up right now, and it's like, is yeah. it a documentary? And it seems like it one is. of the writers is uh, Mark Kermode, <laughs> so he collaborated with his biggest
1: fan. He
2: did. He did. There's a yeah. there's a
1: really good uh, recent, um, actually not too recent, probably 2017, 2018 uh, episode of Kermode on film. Um, okay. Where he talks with Friedkin. Uh, it's a two part mm-hmm. episode. So it's really good. Yeah, um, I,
0: I enjoy his documentaries a lot.
1: Yeah. Um. So. So yeah, he. Uh, he he um I mean Father Amort is the is the Vatican exorcist. Gotcha. <laughs> um, oh wow. So he he, he taped he taped a, an exorcism that Father Amort uh um performs. Um I haven't seen it yet. I've heard him talk a lot about it. Um kinda of just waiting for the right time to to put that in. Um as far yeah. as I know it didn't get great reception, but um Yeah. You know, when you when you when you like Friedkin a lot, I think it's you know, yeah. When you like the filmmaker a lot, you you appreciate whatever they do in some way or another. So of course, yeah. To watch it, yeah.
0: I mean, he is he is getting up there in age, and obviously, like opportunities for him are not like Scorsese and Spielberg. You know, they're still actively making and getting all these big movie stars to be in their movies. You know, Um,
1: yeah. I mean, he's eighty six, and Scorsese is what um so yeah 79 yeah you know he's he's got he's got quite a bit of time on on scorsese so i don't know if right he's, um i mean you know clint is 90 and making cry macho and another movie <laughs> i think right now but right but um, clint has
0: a sweetheart deal yeah. though with the uh, warner brothers like they just <laughs> let him make whatever he wants you know because yeah obviously he he won them so many oscars and made them so much money with his movies so you know
1: yeah he's just got the he's got the yellow brick road package uh-huh. yeah he does yeah <laughs> um, it's like yeah and i don't take yeah, i just don't know if freakin has that you know i don't know if freakin nah. has the poll anymore i don't know if you no. put freakin's name on a on a poster and and that would draw people just by no. name I no mean, no nah, he's not, not there anymore putting, i mean you know the 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 man who brought you the exorcist and the french connection which would you know suck mm-hmm. i mean yeah i mean he's got I would... another feature in him I, i'd love to see it but i think he's mostly just right uh, focused on directing opera which yeah for several years
0: i mean um with to live to live and die in la just um knowing the context of that you know like with um the failure of, of sorcerer and obviously those two other movies in between cruising and this um uh it's just uh it it feels like he was he was already his stock was already on the downside at this point and you know obviously um the studios cracking down on on directors and what they could do uh they were all, they definitely had a lot less freedom in the 80s even though i feel like the movies that came out in the 80s are some of them are even like their best work you know like i would say like um Oh totally! Uh, yeah, yeah. Like uh, Once Upon a Time in America is is great, and obviously, um, Raging Bull is great too. Um, uh, so they were there, even with those restrictions, um, and when studios started cracking down, like they still managed to, you know, um, extract blood from a stone. I think right. with these movies, um, and
1: especially for Friedkin After Sorcerer, where he just spent, you know, boatloads of cash on that movie um doing these absolutely wild things you know taking millions of dollars out to the jungle yeah. <laughs> you know and then right. having the movie come back and just totally flop against Star Wars yeah you know i don't just took a while for the studios to to trust him again right
0: <laughs> yeah um and yeah so with this one uh i think that i believe this is his first movie in LA too right like um up until that point he had been making movies in the east coast
1: yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, so I, I, I feel like we're tiptoeing around the movie. We keep... Yeah. No, yeah. I keep taking us in different. No,
0: no, uh, no that's fine. I mean, you know, the, but, um, um, yeah, it really is. I feel like, uh, it, it, it's not just a straightforward cop thriller, you know, aside from it being about secret service instead of actual cops, um, there's just so many things about it that uh make it stand out. You know, number one obviously is the the Wang Chung soundtrack, <laughs> you know. Like getting this uh new wave band <laughs> to do the entire soundtrack dun, and dun. Yeah, and, the, dun, dun. yeah. <laughs> and, and and that was like a thing. Like I mean I I would say even though he, he's a little younger than freaking there's definitely parallels with um with Michael Mann, you know, in terms of like getting mm somebody like uh Michael Rubini and the Reds to do like the soundtrack for another William Peterson movie that came out a year after this uh, Manhunter and then right. uh Tangerine Dream for the Keep you know so they they kind of <laughs> were at the forefront of this and then also he got Robbie Muller you know uh I know yeah Vim <laughs> Bender's uh cinematographer to shoot it and this wasn't even like I mean I guess obviously the year before uh Robbie Mueller shot um Paris, Texas with Vim Vendors, and part of Paris, Texas takes place in LA. And um, he also did um Repo Man with Alex Cox, which is like also incredible. And it's just like some of Robbie Muller's like uh best like color cinematography, I feel. There's just like um nobody shoots you live and die in LA. Yeah. And like no yeah. nobody shoots the night like he does, you know. Um and,
1: and, and just the colors, though. I mean, just those. I, I, it's it's weird to, I don't know. I guess it's not weird, but I mean, just the reds in this movie, and um, it, they're just so deep, and they just they burn so yeah, brightly. You know, um, it, yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's
0: like I mean that that's one of the standout shots when the the title shows up. There's like this red haze. And, you know, I mean, I, I've lived in L.A. Uh, hopefully I don't die here. But, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, th- I've never seen, like, a red haze like that in, in, in you know, the decade and a half that I've lived here, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> right. um, yeah, that that's just wild, like, that they were able to see this. And, I mean, that's one of the things that they talk about um, in the Los Angeles Plays Itself documentary about just how outsiders – you know it's either they they come to LA to make a movie and then they view it with contempt or they see it through different eyes you know
1: and yeah, that was uh i sorry i keep interrupting no you. go ahead yeah what <laughs> were you going to say oh it was just something i was going to ask you um you know just cuz i know you're doing this series um and i, I i'm very used to uh, you know living in in Wisconsin and uh, not having uh like Uh, cinema especially be represent you know represent this this area um but you know there's so much you know there's so much la yeah just the 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 history of film but in a movie like this like it's very much an outsider's perspective because he's from chicago um and this is his first la movie i mean i i guess how do you see it from the outsider's perspective
0: I mean, I, th- I think he did a great job. You know, I-, I definitely feel like, I mean, both him and Michael Mann. I mean, Michael Mann is basically an honorary Los Angelino. You know, <laughs> At this point, he's just made so many great movies in L.A. Um, but, yeah, I mean, even as like a, a tourist or a visitor, uh, I think Friedkin captured L.A. in a way that I don't think um, a lot of movies do. Because, for one thing, uh, the movie is set, around um, San Pedro, which is like a, a port town. You know, the port of Los Angeles is in San Pedro. It's it's right next to Long Beach. Um, but Long Beach probably gets more attention because, you know, it's more hip and, you know, uh, obviously Snoop Dogg is from there. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, San Pedro doesn't get as much love. But, you know, shout out to um, to Minutemen, by the way. They're from San Pedro. Um, so, uh, but yeah, other than that, Pedro is just like it's weird, it's like it's a peninsula, like it, it exists in its own world. I mean, I would probably compare it to another neighborhood for New Yorkers to be like um, uh, Red Hook. You know, it's kind of like that because Red Hook sure. is also like uh, a port town, uh, even though I don't think they they have a port, but boats definitely check in there. And um, uh, And yeah, like that's just how it feels. It's its own world you know, um, like completely closed off from the rest of L.A. And I, I think, yeah, they did a good job capturing that. And uh, I don't know how it is uh, as a Secret Service agent. It's like, do you are you able to, like, just live in different cities, you know, depending on what your assignment is? And at that time, he was just based in L.A., like uh, Willem Peterson's character.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of how it. Is I think there are dedicated Secret Service agents for protecting the president, but I also think there are like field offices in major cities oh, or whatever else. Sense. Oh, gotcha. Um, where you know if the president's coming to that city, you know they can deploy the local, you know the people from the local field office, and yeah, you know, and and when they're not doing that, they're working on you know counterfeiting or yeah, whatever other. Gotcha. But I think those are the two th- I mean, those are the two main things mm-hmm. that the Secret Service does.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's the funny thing too that that's brought up in the I guess the criticism of to live and die in LA in, in Los Angeles plays itself. Uh where um it basically criticizes how villains and it's not just this, it's also in LA Confidential, like how villains live in like these artsy houses, you know, <laughs> and like it's a disdain for that type of architecture. You know, because um, yeah, I mean, obviously, let's get into the cast. You know, William Peterson is the the main Secret Service agent, um, mm-hmm. who's uh trying to nail um, Willem Dafoe as this artist who's also a master counterfeiter. And I, I actually found this out that um, uh, they were legit like counterfeiting money. <laughs> in yes. the movie.
1: they were. They were. <laughs> they had hired uh, this guy um I, I, his name is out there but he was a genuine counterfeiter who had spent time in prison for it um and he has he was living outside of the states uh, when they like went to him to to make the money for the movie um and according to freak uh the majority of the and, and you know he's kind of unreliable sometimes he, and so in one interview he says you know um th- most of the money that they were making was one sided um So you know, so the Secret Service actually contacted him and was trying to investigate him for making counterfeit money. Um, And he's like, oh, you know, most of it's one sided or whatever. And they never actually had like a like a basis to come investigate him. And they wanted to question him a bunch of times, but he would always just say, "Get a warrant," (laughs) and they never got one. Um, 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 but then he later admits, uh, essentially after the statute of limitations passes, that they also had plenty of double-sided, very real, you know, very yeah. well-counterfeited money did, that he was it, spending. Yeah, it
0: went into circulation, right? That's what happened. Yeah,
1: yes.
2: <laughs>
0: wow, that's how good the counterfeit was, man. But yeah, that's just also, it, it says a lot about Freakin' like, that, that It he just has this punk attitude, you know he the does. yeah, it's like fuck it, let's just do it. And you know, it's it's almost like um, yeah, yeah it, it makes me think of Herzog in a way that Herzog talks about the, like don't ask permission. You know, just go out and do it, and then you know, yep. uh, think about the consequences later.
1: <laughs> the the catalyst for the for the Secret Service contacting him was that one of the like one of the set like, designers had had some of the the one sided twenties, mm-hmm. and he had brought him home home and left him on his desk. And his like thirteen year old son and a friend took one of them and went to like a went to like a just a supermarket and tried to buy Twinkies mm. with it <laughs> with a one sided twenty. <laughs> wow! And then like within like fifteen minutes they like held the kid there and then like, within like fifteen minutes the Secret Service was at the store. <laughs> that is wild, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, and he's like I got it from my dad, and you know eventually you know Freakin's name came up and yeah, but they never did anything about it, and they were they were. Using counterfeit money. Amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Man. It was <laughs> so wild. Yeah, there's just freaking there's like this always this convergence of he's making this fictional movie, but then there's this like kind of backstory behind it, similar to that that exorcist yeah. and cruising connection, you know, where it's just he, he's doing some crazy stuff, man. Um a yeah. Man. yeah, for sure. Um yeah, and I I also just want to say, like the first time I saw this movie was in LA um and in the theater on 35 millimeter and that was like a great like first viewing of it I saw it at at Quentin Tarantino's theater the new Beverly um and you know they usually do um like double bills so it was actually in a double bill with Rampage which was I think a TV movie that um Yeah. (laughs) That Freakin' had made, which was still kind of fascinating in its own way. You know, it wasn't like a complete waste of time, but, you know, after seeing this, it just didn't hold up as much because, you know, this was just, uh, it's in your face. Like, there's just something about it where it has this energy that I think Rampage didn't have, you know? Um, And uh, yeah, uh, the thing was, after seeing that, like, I rewatched it again. Um, for this episode and I'd forgotten most of the things that I'd seen that first time around. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, I was genuinely shocked of like where it ended up, you know? Um, Well, uh, before we even get to that though, um, you know, obviously this movie has been out for a long time. Although um, I guess the, the Blu-rays become scarce now um, because uh, they're lining up another 4k. There's going to be a 4k remaster of it. Um, Yeah.
1: The, the shout, blu-ray has been out of print for quite a while yeah um there's an Arrow release of it that you can get fairly cheap okay but it's it is it is region locked yeah um um but other than that it's like n- it's not available to stream anywhere right right, right. Like, if you put it if you look it up on just watch it's just like there's it's not available right now yeah there's a it's a, it's on youtube but the youtube upload is missing like 30 minutes 30 um, minutes wow i know so i have no idea what's going well on i i so know one part on that, that that
0: was probably cut because um i mean this was the thing seeing it on projected on 35 millimeter i did not remember seeing full frontal nudity
1: <laughs> in <laughs> which there's quite a bit of yeah
0: and uh, then <laughs> i see it in you know uh, i, I want to say like uh, i guess full 1080p hd yeah. and it's as clear <laughs> as day i'm like damn yeah. william peterson and like yeah the the European influence with Robbie Müller shit. Yeah. <laughs> like I was I was general yeah that was one of the first things that shocked me that I forgotten from the 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 first viewing. I was like wow the, the, this movie actually had full frontal nudity in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he shows hog and it's like is he literally it's literally like hanging Yeah, he's, he's, cuz he is like he is like leaning over yeah. you know the his his informant. Yeah, there's this great
0: documentary it's... about the the MPAA um or now they're just called the MPA um uh called the, this movie's not yet rated. Um uh, and it's uh, directed by Kirby Dick and that's one of the things that they talk about is like, you know, male full frontal nudity how like it's just it's rare that you see it because like, you know, it, it's a tricky thing in terms of getting an R rating. And like, um, the, the sequence, uh, I remember the most was basically them talking about, um, I don't know if you still remember this movie at Cuba Gooding Jr. and, um, Helen Mirren called, uh, shadow boxer. No. No. <laughs> no, yeah. I think it came out like in 2007 or something like that. Uh, it was definitely the, the mid tooth, uh, knots. Um, and, uh, the, there's a scene where Steven Dorff, is like having sex and then you know he also shows like full frontal and they actually gave the mpaa like a choice of um of how like erect he would be you know so <laughs> so yeah they had like the soft one the fully erect and then like kind of mid like so- soft and hard and that's the one that they approved was the one that's like somewhere in the middle <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there's even like an interview with, um, uh, uh, who's, he was in the Batman recently, uh, Peter Sarsgaard. Um, and he has a scene of full frontal nudity to, uh, um, in, um, I think it was a movie about, uh, Kinsey uh with Liam Neeson and uh you know he he has full frontal nudity and he was like saying yeah man like as an actor like you kind of have to cherish that that you have full frontal nudity because you know <laughs> it, it, it can get cut out because you know it's like no with uh with women like full frontal nudity that's nothing but with males like you know all of a sudden like the MPAA is kind of touchy about that you know so yeah they got away with one with, <laughs> with um with to live and die in la i feel man
1: well it's well utilized yeah <laughs> say that.
0: yeah and um yeah it there's there's the thing about that movie uh, just the context of that scene too it kind of illustrates you know the moral gray area that william peterson's character um uh, occupies you know remind me again what's his name in the movie
1: uh, I know his last name is Chance. Um, Chance. Okay. Um, I, 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 it, it, it confused me because it's like, it's close to, it's not Rick, but it's like close to Rick. Okay. Because Rick Masters is, <laughs> is uh, uh, it's Richard. Richard Chance. Oh,
0: Rick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rick Chance. Yeah. So Rick Chance. You know that. There's Rick Chance
1: and Rick Masters. Yeah,
0: like he he's willing to basically take shortcuts and. Um, you know cuz he wants to get his man he wants to to nail eric masters <laughs> um yeah, yeah Willem defoe's uh artist who who prefers to destroy rather than create well create then destroy and um yeah i mean shout out to john pankow too i thought as his partner was really good and um
1: the ac- he is
0: yeah the actor who played um uh william peterson's partner who before him that retires um michael green was also mm-hmm. very good.
1: I I, I wasn't in, uh, the the first viewing. I was like I was like oh you know, um, uh, what's his name? Michael Pankow. Yeah, uh, Vukovic. Uh, no, John um, Pankow. Oh John, yeah, John Pankow. Yeah, sorry. I, I I didn't I didn't care for it. Right. Um, at the first viewing and the but but I've watched it, you know, twice since and it's like, he kind of he kind of makes the movie. Yeah. For me, for sure. Like, yeah. yeah I does.
0: mean, you know. Yeah. Um, we're obviously going to spoil the movie because it's been out forever. If you haven't seen it, you know, just go back, pause us. And, and, yeah. But yeah, he, in the end, it becomes him. And I guess this is the other thing that, that shocked me. I forgot that uh, Peterson dies in the movie.
1: <laughs> like, the, the, oh, he dies. Yeah, that, he really that, dies. Yeah, and
0: that's the title of the movie, was, you know. And I mean, that's the best feeling for me, actually, like rewatching a movie when I've forgotten like key details or like the ending, like I'm like, this is the perfect time to rewatch a movie for me is, is when you forget those things. And then it's like an entirely like new experience, you know? Um, That's
1: right where I'm at with cruising. So yeah.
0: All right. So I won't spoil cruising for you Um, there. But, uh, but yeah, it's just um, eventually, you know, he's in that final scene uh, after Peterson dies. And he has a confrontation with with uh, Peterson's lover, who, um, yeah, w- involving in that the uh, like going back to the the full frontal scene. Um, you know, it's just like not only is she like his informant, but he's also sleeping with her. You know, so the there again is that you know that gray that moral gray area. And then you yeah, know, yeah, Pankow he's definitely
1: using it as a as a he's using his power. Yeah, to yeah. That. Yeah, and
0: and Pankow is like, yeah, he's 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 important in the sense that he he kind of is the voice of reason in trying to talk to Peterson in terms of like, you know, I I I don't I don't feel good about this, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. And then at one point he consults um, uh, Dean Stockwell, R.I.P. as the the lawyer. I, I thought in another great performance by <laughs> by oh, Dean fantastic. Stockwell too. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's just like, uh, you know, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, you're going to basically have to throw your partner under the bus. And that's when he's like, well, I can't do that. You know, as much as, like, I want to save my ass right now. And, like, I know what we're doing is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I can't throw him under the bus, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and I think that that's essential. And then, yeah, there's just a sudden a change in his um, in his demeanor in the final scene where he, he confronts, um, uh, what's her character's name? Um, Bianca. Uh, Um, yeah. 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 When he confronts her and then there's that, that final shot of her with the, the Vincent Thomas bridge behind her. Um, and you know, he's like, you're working for me now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then it cuts when she like looks outside and it cuts to, it cuts to the shot of William Peterson pulling up in his truck when she like when she's watching outside and he and from like way in the beginning of the movie it, Oh
0: shit, uh, I didn't even <laughs> yeah. No, I, I thought it was like some random like uh See now I got to watch it again cuz yeah, yeah. No, I, that's that's
1: from when William Peterson yeah, pulled so, up in his truck. Yeah, cuz
0: what I remember yeah. was okay, th- there's that shot of her and it's such an iconic shot cuz it's also like a a deep focus shot too, right? Like she's in focus and so is the bridge. Yeah. Um Yeah. And uh uh, but yeah, that was the thing. Like I remember, it w- that wasn't the last shot. There was like something unremarkable. But from what I remember, it was just like some random backyard. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I was looking at. I was like, "There's a wooden fence yeah. and like some grass." But that's all I remembered. I don't. Yeah, I'll have to watch it again with the the pickup jump. Yeah, that's an interesting it's, detail. It's right
1: after she kind of has the realization that she's back in the same scenario. Oh, and yeah, it's wow. actually a cut back to that first shot of. her her yard and 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 peterson's uh blue truck pulling up oh man on that and goes into the credits um did you watch the credits all the way through no no what happens in the credits at the at the very end of the credits it 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 flashes back to that same um shot of peterson in the apartment like like just kind of like staring at her with his with his jacket mm. his leather jacket and his it's in that set scene where he tells her that he'd uh he'd revoke her parole
0: oh um, wow so yeah. so um freaking so also ahead, ahead of the yeah. game with a post-credit sequence
1: uh, yes yes <laughs> he is a yeah he's a trans man um, oh
0: man i i didn't e- Yeah. see now you've made me discover new things about this movie that i didn't even know
1: yeah, um yeah. oh one thing I was going to mention the Iraq sequence in the exorcist is uh yeah and that, that I mean that leads into uncut gems. With the, oh you know, right. Like, <laughs> exactly. The yeah, yeah, that's true. His influence. Uh but anyway, um yeah, um that that whole ending sequence too with Vukovic um I I've got this weird I have got this I've got this idea where it's kind of like the the ending of the exorcist just drawn out a little bit. Mm. Um, cuz because Peterson has this, and I, I would almost call it a possession mm-hmm. or an obsession. You know, he does not care about the consequences. All he uh, he will do anything, whether it's you know get an FBI agent killed, mm. um, you know, put his informant slash you know love interest, if you want to call it that, you know, um, you know, uh, in harm's way, essentially. Right. Um, just so that he can get to this guy and then when he does get killed um it's just like everything you know and and then vukovic has to chase masters into the burning you know print shop right yeah and it's kind of like he's and it's and it's on fire and it's burning and it's a very hellish there's even those like in the sound, there's those moans and screams in there. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed yeah. that too. It's very much like a descent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, so like, <laughs> you know, in like The Exorcist, where Father Karras brings in the demon, mm. right, and jumps the out window, the window. Yeah, and the famous and it's, steps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's very much like Vukovich is like is like taking in whatever possesses. Oh Peterson too, right. Kind of living on with it. It's it's it's. I, I thought that was um, it's maybe a little far fetched, but I, I like that connection. <laughs>
0: oh no, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see it, especially because that explains Pankow's like complete change in demeanor in the final scene. He has scene. no reason to,
1: right? You know, it's like it's like okay, you know, uh, you know, Peterson's dead, Rick Masters, Willem Dafoe is dead. Why the sudden change? Right? You know, you know, what, what does he have to gain? Mm-hmm. What is his? Yeah, he's you know, he's. Why is he changing? Is that
0: the first time we see him wearing shades too? I don't remember seeing him in shades.
1: Yeah. He's he's totally taken in the persona right yeah, of, of William yeah, Peterson. He's he's yeah. wearing the shades. He's got the deep V neck. He's <laughs> got the leather. He's got the the black jacket with the with a really high popped collar. Man, um, yeah. He takes the whole look.
0: Yeah. You know? I will just say too, like it's totally fair for us to just call him Peterson because that's basically. It this movie established a template of the type of character that he would play for basically the rest of his yes. career, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, definitely. from and you know it's 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 funny because Friedkin does kind of credit himself for for kind of discovering uh, Peterson, even sure. though he wasn't in, in Thief uh, beforehand. Mm. Um, um, but it's a very you know short you know right. thing in Thief, right? It's it's not much of anything yeah um, he was the story of it is is that Friedkin, um his casting director i think bob Weiner, um i think that's who it is mm. um who, who was cast uh to live and die in la he was like there's this kid in chicago i think who's who's doing streetcar and peterson mm. is like i don't give a shit everyone does streetcar that's <laughs> you know that's brando's role right know, why would i want to see anyone doing streetcar yeah. Uh, but he got convinced to go up there and he's he was kind of doing it like he'd never seen before and um he put him in the movie. That's and, amazing. And he and he very much recognizes like it, like Peterson's like athleticism. Yeah. he really took takes advantage of that in this movie. Which right. I think it's a really cool Yeah, there's, aspect a, there's but it is it's Yeah, uh, it's very funny cuz like the some of the things that he does like when he gets up on the in the airport and runs down the the rails of the, or whatever those things are called, the moving platform. <laughs>
0: um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
1: um, it's conveyor and, belt thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he gets up and like, People runs mover. on the rails of those things. Yeah. He's just, like, jumping over, like, the airport, the terminal benches and stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Man.
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, yeah, we haven't even, like, gotten into the, the whole chase sequence in the movie, you know, which is, like, a big part of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's um it's going against traffic, uh, and and you know tying to the the final shot or the second to the final shot of the movie, you know it it it, it takes place on the the Vincent Thomas Bridge, um, which is uh another bridge that's featured in Heat, uh, that, <laughs> that Los Angeles plays itself makes fun of Heat for because um Robert De Niro calls it the St. Vincent Thomas Bridge. <laughs> And uh, Vincent <laughs> Thomas was basically like a, a city council member in Pedro, but he's never been, you know, like anointed <laughs> as a saint. Sure. So, you know, it's funny how, you know, also just sidebar, like how how much like, um, you know, Michael Mann tweaks his movies, you know, and does so right. many multiple cuts. And like, you know, a lot of people are kind of sad that he's cut out the detritus line from from Heat but he's never re-edited that line where De Niro says, St. Vincent Thomas Bridge. Like, you can't just, like, take out that that part of, of the saint, you know? Yeah. I,
1: I didn't know that he he had touched heat at all.
0: Oh, no, yeah, he's been tweaking it a lot. Actually, uh, it's so much so that, like, you know, this uh, the current edition, what is it, the director's um, definitive? So the director's definitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great and all, and, like, you can get it for really cheap now. Um, yeah. But... I'm seeking like an older blue of it just so I can can find the older bits that he's he's kind of cut out but yeah he he keeps playing with it like he's just yeah because I want that detritus line it's so good <laughs>
1: I, don't, I, I, I don't remember oh dude that.
0: yeah it's it's this line that's um delivered by um uh uh what's her name the the actress who plays his um his third wife <laughs> the uh, Diane Venora um yeah, and it 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 takes place in that that scene where um he's picking her up at the party that he never showed up, and then he you know this is another famous line too where it's like baby you know when I told you that we we got together, you know you would oh have to God. share me, <laughs> yeah that line right so um she you know she like berates him and that's one of the lines in that that you know Michael Mann has since cut out, and I want to get it right so it's like. He says um she says uh you don't live with me you live among the remains of dead people you sift through the detritus you read the terrain you search for signs of passing for the scent of your prey and then you hunt them down that's the only thing you're committed to the rest is the mess that you leave as you pass through so that that you sift through the detritus Ooh. was cut out and it's just like, really? yeah <laughs> That's so yeah. bizarre. Is the rest of the yeah line yeah the rest is, is yeah the rest of the line is, is still there, but he he cut out, um, yeah, um, oh so uh but yeah just going back to, <laughs> to live and die in L A, um so the, the the chase scene apparently um uh Robbie Mueller didn't even shoot that, it was
1: it. It made him too nervous. Yeah, yeah, I it was the last thing. It. Yeah, it's funny because
0: yeah. he he shot a chase, a sort of chase scene in um in Repo Man. You know, there's that whole. Uh, have you seen Repo Man? No. I oh haven't man, okay, you have to see Repo Man. Like that's another like not only is it a great Robbie Mueller movie, it's a great uh, like directorial debut. It's a great L.A. movie. Like I mean I, I I still have yet to see another Alex Cox movie that that matches Repo Man, you know. And I I've, I've seen like Sid and Nancy and I guess Walker is also very good. I, I would say like Walker and, and Repo Man are like tops for me with with Alex Cox. But um there's there's like a brief sort of chase scene in um uh, but I guess it's not as bombastic as this one in um in Repo Man where basically uh um uh, Harry Dean Stanton and Emilio Estevez like encounter these guys called the Melendez brothers and they drive through um the LA River, which is like it's a funny thing. Like you see the LA River all the time in in LA movies and, you know, even here in, in To Live and Die in LA. But um you know, you can't actually drive down there. Like it it's it's like yeah. <laughs> um but it is publicly accessible. Right? and I learned that like very late in the game. I didn't realize that there were actually access points that you could go down to the river and just walk along it like it's it's technically like park grounds i guess and and it's so weird how i and it's covered in drive that there's now they've allowed like vegetation to grow out on the riverbed well it's oh. m- mainly concrete anyway but now there's vegetation so you see that in drive when he drives um uh carrie mulligan and her son uh along the la river and then he takes them to this kind of like a part that's wooded and that's still part of the river. But anyway, yeah, so Robbie Müller shoots this uh this sort of like race. He's like, "Oh, they want a race." So like he shoots this little chase and it's beautiful, but I guess yeah, this was a lot more complicated for him and and you know who um who replaced him to shoot it, right?
1: Uh, no. Um uh, oh, I I I, heard, I it's yeah, I forgot, yeah, it's Robert I Robert it's...
0: Yeoman. Who's um who was I I don't know if if Wes Anderson still uses him but when when Wes Anderson started Robert Yeoman was his his regular cameraman oh yeah he he still shot Grand Budapest Hotel but oh yeah and he did shoot French Dispatch so yeah he's still his guy oh, wow. yeah so Robert Yeoman was the second unit um, uh, cinematographer for this so he shot the chase scene in the movie.
1: Yeah, I, this one I, I definitely safer than the French Connection, but still very wild. Yeah, um, and the scenes where it is where you are seeing the full car mm-hmm. with Peterson driving, he is dri- He did all the driving for that chase. Amazing. Um, yeah, it's not.
0: Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> just another like weird random thing. After this whole chase happens, uh, I mean, I may be misremembering the order, but doesn't he like? pull over somewhere and then like there's these like random dudes like listening to reggae
1: yeah.
0: yes <laughs> yeah it's yeah. so such a brilliant touch you know the, like, just that attention to detail you know,
1: yeah, and there's and there's people out there, and and Vukovich is like screaming. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I, like, I heard what are we got to Yeah, and I heard he got like <laughs>
0: praise from like some cop who uh like told him later on when he saw him like you know the way you were panicking was like very realistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, how you know somebody would panic in in a chase like that. Yeah,
1: that's definitely the like his, the best part of his character is during that chase. because yeah. he's going through such a wide range of emotions right. he's got he's angry he's panicked at towards the end you know what when, when you know when they're getting away it's so it's so brilliant um and peterson is he's like he's like screaming he's like yes yes you know he's we he did it or whatever and then it's and it's flashing <laughs> back to him base jumping from the oh yeah i almost forgot about interested. that it's too like, oh man so, <laughs> but then contrast that with vukovic in the back who he's like in tears and he's panicking and his flashbacks mm. are to what just happened <laughs> the bullet coming through the window right. the, the um the guy who had the cash getting killed right in front of him and it's just like that that contrast between it's like Vukovic is is panicked and he's yeah. uh you know he's he's rational about and you know, he's upset about what's just happened and and Peterson's just like you know, whatever that guy getting killed, this whole thing—it's essentially—it's just the thrill, right? You know, yeah, it's just the thrill of it. And I—I I think tears.
0: that's primarily you just nailed it for me. Why uh, I preferred this chase scene over the French Connection chase scene because of the different tenors of, you know, emotion that's going on. Because it's the two of them. Because obviously, in in French Connection, it's just Popeye Doyle uh, chasing after yeah. the criminal. But with this, you get that contrast of the guy who's like gung-ho like yeah let's do this and you know he, he wants to get his man and he's totally focused and then the guy is like just completely falling apart and having a panic attack you know um yeah yeah, yeah. so um yeah man I, I, we haven't even talked about uh john totoro as well in an early role uh oh
1: yeah very very early in a lot of a lot of early talent in this movie yeah um i think streets of fire with Defoe came out the year before
0: oh yes another one uh, of my favorites too yeah and yeah. he's great i now. haven't seen it actually oh dude you um, have to see, see it, it. I, I know i need to get on yeah
1: um but and, and you know and peterson it, you know i have watching this in particularly i'm like why wasn't peterson tom cruise like why didn't he have the tom cruise part? right like he he very much has the athleticism. He has, he has like almost the same face too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know it's 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 I could just see them being switched. You know, right out, I can see, you know Peterson. I mean, he definitely he looks a lot different now. Yeah, but, um, you know I could have seen him doing you know Mission Impossible or you know yeah I um, could definitely that. But he he never became the superstar that I think that he that he could have been yeah I mean, I know it's he's, a shame he, he was on csi and that's a huge show that millions, millions yeah, of yeah right watch, but yeah i don't really know what his that's... character i don't know if he's the main character on yeah he, he is CSI yeah he's, he he. Or...
0: yeah yeah he's the main yeah. character in it um he basically is like the head of um their um their their investigation unit
1: yeah yeah i'm gonna have to watch some episodes yeah yeah i mean again
0: it's like he was uh, that, that he just kind of fell into that that typecast of of what you know what his role was. So you know, it's it's not that different from, from his character in Manhunter or uh, To Live and Die in L.A. You know, it's just you know we yeah. we obviously recognize the nuances. Oh, but yeah, he was in um, he was in Friedkin's uh, Twelve Angry Men, right? Which you you've been praising, he was, yeah,
1: yeah, I. He... Yeah, well, let me just get on that soapbox for a minute. Okay, yeah, go <laughs> ahead. Yeah, you yeah, have this that yeah that adaptation. Um, while you know, probably in every right, you know, not necessary, but it's so incredibly good. Um, and, and I'll admit it's been a while since I've seen the original Twelve Angry Men, and I did watch Freakins' Twelve Angry Men, you know, a couple weeks ago. Um, but there's so much atmosphere to it and um and uh Henry Fonda is pretty young in 12 angry men right
0: um uh yeah. no I think he was kind of he looked middle-aged in it
1: middle-aged yeah well, the, the so the Henry Fonda uh stand-in for this one is Jack Lemon, right and Jack Lemon is at, at that point you know mm-hmm. fairly you know fairly aged yeah an old man i would call him an old man yeah he's probably in his 60s or right old, maybe 70s at that point um and george c scott just kind of doing his george c scott thing gotcha um, as uh, <laughs> yeah as as the juror number three uh-huh. uh character um, um but the but the one thing i mean it's just it's really full of it just you can i, I I, I i don't know it's just got it's just got a, a tone to it that i think sets it apart from the original that is very um palpable um gotcha and and like i had said to you with with uh you know going back to his his first film the, the 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 people versus paul crump and and what that did for him you know it's it's a very you know earnest story for him to tell i think and i think you can kind of feel that passion come through gotcha um And uh, James Gandolfini in there, Um, so I think uh, Twelve Angry Men came out in '98, so it had to film in probably '97. Yep, um, which was the same time that uh, Gandolfini was um, filming the Sopranos pilot, Um, Hmm. and you can really feel (laughs) you can really feel Gandolfini testing out the Tony Soprano, (laughs) uh, you know. uh, you know physicality the voice the accent just the 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 hand gestures he's really testing it out in 12 angry man it it, it it really is this kind of very um well, this very bizarre like test run for tony soprano that you that is that is out there in the world that i don't think people yeah, that's wild. realize you know it's 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 very it's very interesting and he does that he does that character very well um but uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's really great. The score is incredible too. Yeah. Um, How
0: was Peterson you know? in it?
1: And Peterson's great too. Cause he's not, he's, uh, he's uh, he's just a very, he's one of the, like just the more generally reasonable guys. He's just, he, he works at an ad agency. I don't know if that ties directly with a character from the original or not. I don't remember. Mm. He works in an ad agency. He's pretty level-headed and he's kind of quipping out, like uh you know, uh marketing lingo and catchphrases throughout the yeah. <laughs> throughout the discussion, and he's a very like laid back, a little bit, a little humorous. You know, it's it's nothing like, you know, it's nothing like to live in dialogue. Yeah, like I mean, it, but he's he's great too. He's he plays a very good, just kind of earnest regular guy
0: yeah i mean i'm just looking at the cast list of the 12 angry men in this remake and it it looks great on paper i mean armin mueller stall oh, michael t wilson tony danza is one of the
1: <laughs> tony Danza, th- i mean that's that's the that's the character that is a, a little out okay there. uh <laughs> you know it's because tony danza is doing his tony danza thing mm-hmm. um uh edward james almost he's, he's oh great, yeah man. yeah um and um I, d- I never know how to say his name, um, Hume Cronin? Yeah, I think that's correct. Is that, is that yeah. how you say his name? Yeah, he, he's he's fantastic too. Um and um, Armin, Armin Mueller-Stahl. Yeah,
0: I love Armin mueller Stall, right Yes, yeah. yeah. So
1: it's it's funny because the the movie I had seen with him, um, just before <laughs> <laughs> this one was a uh, Eastern Promises. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Very different. is a very different.
0: I mean, have you seen Night on Earth? Oh, no. man, that's probably one of my favorite Jim Jarmusch movies. Like it, it's uh, I would say probably even like my second or third favorite Jim Jarmusch movies, top three for sure. And his role in that is amazing. And, he, you know, he he his segment like takes place in New York with. um, uh, Oh, my God. Why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Giancarlo Esposito. And the way that they play off oh, of yeah. each other is just, man, it's brilliant. And you know the other thing about um uh like it, each segment in in Night on Earth like it's it's dedicated or it's like a little homage that the Jim Jarmusch has to certain directors. So the L.A. sequence is like an homage to to John Cassavetes, and then the the New York section is an homage to Spike Lee, and um the the French section is to Claire Denis, the Italian section is to Roberto Benigni. And, um, the, oh, yeah, wow. the final, uh, sequence in Helsinki is to Aki Karasmaki. So he's like, yeah, it's one of Jim Jarmer's kind of like, um, it's a, what is, what's the phrase that they use for those type of movies? Anthology. Yeah. Anthology movie, but he directed all yeah. the sequences, but I think originally he wanted like a different director for each se- sequence. But, uh, I guess, um, it just wasn't possible with the production and stuff. So he had to direct all five um sequences.
1: Yeah, I definitely need to watch that. That was one of the the first movies that I ever found out that Tom Waits was in
0: uh actually funnily enough spoiler or no he's, he's not, not he, in it yeah the,
1: yeah he, no he did the score.
0: yeah and it's a brilliant score yeah. like it's an incredible yeah. score because
1: i've heard the score that that that, that was it i listened to yeah score. i yeah, mean I his know, his
0: opening it. like song in the opening credits is is amazing like it, yeah it's making me want to watch the movie again <laughs> i mean sometimes i just put it on and just watch the la sequence because it's just so good um. Yeah, but the New York scene with the uh, with sequence with Armin Mueller-Stahl is like one of the most charming things that Jim Jarmusch has done. You know, so it's great. And yeah, Rosie Perez is also in it <laughs> in that yeah, New York yeah. sequence. But yeah, we've gone so far from <laughs> from to live and die in L.A. <laughs> well,
1: this is what we do. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Just them. normally when yeah. we're having conversations, like I feel yeah. like yeah, our conversations are. Like good enough to be a podcast. Like you, they can,
1: I you yeah. know, I would, I I would kind of yeah. agree. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at a recording where you know an hour forty. Yeah, and we've really barely talked about to live and die in L.A. But I mean, we have, Carl and I have had, just you know, FaceTime calls. Right, have gone well over. You know four hours yeah <laughs> we're just talking about movies. yeah exactly man um, and i mean so, not just you know, I, I, mean, I
0: feel like we've discussed literature too and uh oh yeah definitely. yeah it's just uh we yeah we covered the gamut for sure music as well uh, oh yeah. man yeah so yeah i mean do you have any more thoughts on to live and die in la that you want to add oh
1: yeah i mean okay i mean I I feel like we haven't talked about Willem Dafoe. Okay, yeah, really. Oh no! Before we get to that, Mm -hmm. we were going to talk about John Turturro. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Early role for him. Yeah, um, very early role for him, but also one of the best roles I think I've seen him in. Like he's he carries so much. um, He just carries his character so heavily. Um, I just think he's very is a very brooding character also like very angry yeah um and you can see that in almost every line delivery even when it's just you know it, it when he's not even really showing emotion I, the one i c- keep coming back to is when he's talking to william defoe um during the the prison visit and when he's leaving, he kind of leans up against the glass and says, "Don't forget about me." Yeah. It's so it's almost it's it's so bizarre because he holds none of the cards in that right. scene, but he's the menacing one. Yeah. You know, it, it's he's able to convey that even though he has no, he does not have the upper hand at all. I mean, he's behind bars; he's got nothing. Yeah. Um, and he, I mean, he can't even, you know. uh you can't even rat on him because he knows he'll get killed. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And I mean,
0: that's that's one of the things too that that gets discussed in the movie is like, what are they gonna do with with Toro Because he's kind of the linchpin of the whole movie in the sense that you know it, it starts off with mm-hmm. him and and then there's this whole thing. Yeah, he, is he involved with the chase sequence? I, I'm I'm blanking now. <laughs> like, no. no, he's not. No, no, it was a different guy that they were chasing. No. Oh, the um. It was also that, that guy who they, they mistook for um uh initially that he was he was the guy who was gonna do the, the deal and he was actually an undercover um, FBI agent. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, like um you know the the performance I feel of, of Totoro in here is is um kind of like laying down the foundation for Bernie Birnbaum in uh Miller's Crossing, you know?
1: One of the one of the Coens I haven't seen. Oh my God, you haven't
0: um, seen Miller's Crossing, dude. Yeah. Well, okay, so oh, no, no. you mentioned this to me in a conversation off record that um, uh, that criteria the Criterion Miller's Crossing has been recut by the Coens.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it seems because I uh, I don't remember what the line was specifically because um, I did Yeah, movie, yeah, but um, but it was it's a very like. I don't want to say a minor line because I don't think it has like a good point yeah. in the movie, if I remember <laughs> it's, right. But it's, it's, the, the cuts are very weird. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem to to be anything definitive. It right. all seems random. Yeah. Uh, I, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah. It,
0: it's almost like I think, um, yeah, it's going to live in infamy like um, the detritus line from Heat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, McClunky. Um, yeah, yeah. Because the line that I heard that was cut out is basically Mike Starr saying, Jesus, Tom and it's it, yes. yeah, yeah it's yeah, basically yeah. when uh, gabriel burns character swings a chair in his at his nose and, and that's what he says it's like <laughs> and it's a really funny scene and like i think it's hammered home by that line and you know knowing that the cohen's are so particular about their dialogue and you know they usually want their actors to deliver the lines as written like why would they cut that out like it just it's baffling to me well,
1: well, You know they're going through their divorce right now, so. Yeah.
0: Oh, oh, the two of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, yeah, Ethan's making his own movie, but th- uh, thankfully yeah, yeah. it's not a Shakespeare adaptation. Uh, but
1: yeah, I didn't see. I haven't seen Macbeth yet. Um, but yeah, it almost feels like you know he waited for the whole award season to be over to you know announce that, which is I yeah. guess kind of nice. Right. You know, I just don't want to you know don't want to interfere. Right. I don't want to start comparisons yeah. before the the film even gets a yeah. first shot.
0: So yeah, just relating to that since, you know, this news about the Criterion thing and that there was no like announcement about it, you know, there was no yeah, like whatsoever. people just figured it out on their own like on Reddit and stuff. And um uh so yeah, I would say since you haven't seen it, um yeah, if you have the 20th Century Fox Blu-ray watch that version. Because I, I had, yeah, actually. I have that one too, and yeah, as far as I know, that's the cut that I, you know, like that I've seen. Like I had it on tape before, and it's exactly the yeah. same. So um, yeah, but going back to John Turturro, like his role as Bernie Birnbaum is 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 even more like slimy and snively, and he's also like playing ends against each other in that movie. And um, what's incredible about it is like they're. Um, before you even encounter him, uh, he's like talked about a lot in the movie. So you really like build this thing of kind of like a Harry Lyme thing, where the character hasn't shown up yet, but you know about him, and he's being mentioned a lot, and he's actually also the cause of all the problems in the movie. Yeah, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean it's it's one of my favorite John Turturro roles. You know, I mean if he hadn't done uh, Barton Fink with the Coens a year later. I mean, I would say it's probably my the favorite uh, role that I've seen him in. Uh,
1: the Barton Fink in or in, Miller's
0: in Miller's Crossing, Crossing you know, because um, I mean, yeah. there's um, what gives the movie its title, and I'm not I'm not spoiling it or anything. He gives like an incredible performance um, in Miller's Crossing. So, <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I- I- I'm excited to watch yeah. that one. I think the last Cohen film that I watched was Barton. Wow. Oh, okay. Um, and to be honest, I, not I, uh, not that big Okay, um, That's fair. Um uh, John Goodman is, you know, the guy. Yeah. Um, obviously. Um Yeah, I could go on. About Yeah, him. yeah, no I, <laughs> he's, I feel he's, like he's so Yeah, fantastic. I feel
0: like with Barton Fink it's like um it it's 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 good to know it in the context of Miller's Crossing because you know that um they they wrote Barton Fink basically when they got a writer's block on Miller's Crossing so that's how they ended oh. yeah that's how they ended up with Barton Fink <laughs> so it kind of emerged from that and I think for me my enjoyment of, of Barton Fink is that it feels small and it's it's more like a, a chamber piece compared to um uh to Miller's Crossing you know which is like very expansive a lot of characters uh and, um, you know, it's another great L.A. movie, even though it feels like actually it was mostly shot in studios. Um, there's barely any exteriors in the movie. Um, but, yeah, it, it definitely captures that feel of, of what it feels like to be in L.A., especially if you don't have a car. And you're you're limited to, you yeah. know, your your hotel room. Um, and, yeah. you know, I, I love the Razorhead, like, uh, right, references as well. Um,
1: yeah. You know, it's a bit of an off-reference, but I remember um, listening to Zebras a while back and Marcus talking about that movie Crime Wave. Oh, yeah. Um, by John Pies, mm-hmm. Pies I don't know how to say his last mm-hmm. name. And I, I did watch that movie. I, I believe I remember him talking about uh, how John Pies had said that he had sent that movie to uh, the Coen brothers or, that he, or he knew that they had seen it or whatever, Crime mm-hmm. Wave. Um, which has the you know the the writer kind of stuck in a in a room you know with writer's block and stuff, and it's a very different movie, mm-hmm. but you know them seeing that and then you know a couple you know a year or so you know later part ah uh, yeah right. um, yeah
0: crime wave yeah. is definitely on my uh on my to watch list i mean it's just wild that it's uh yeah it doesn't have a proper release right like it's not on blu ray no,
1: i i actually have a i actually have a like an eBay award okay. For when, when Crime Wave and VHS come, up. <laughs> um, because I want a copy of VHS. I mean, yeah, from from, from um, the
0: clips that I've seen from it, like it, it it doesn't need to be like an HD, like cleaned up, restored no. look. Like part of I, it, it I think of the charm is how it looks in that kind of old timey. Uh,
1: yeah, it definitely is. Uh, I watched it on the Roku channel at three thirty. Oh the wow. Morning. Um. And it kept getting interrupted by the, the same vitamin water oh, ad. God. Um, that And it was the only ad that would show for oh, whatever wow. reason. Oh, wow. And it was just like, this is the perfect way to watch this movie. <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> on one of these weird streaming services <laughs> at, you know, 3.30 in the oh, morning man. on a night where I can't sleep. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, but, um, yeah, legendary Canadian movie. And, you know, we've been talking about the Coens, but, um, yeah, it's not to be confused with Sam Raimi's uh, – crime wave yeah Yeah. for sure but yeah just going back John Turturro great performance in to live and die in LA and yeah just really laying down the foundation for Bernie Birnbaum like uh, five years later in uh, Miller's Crossing
1: yeah yeah definitely great um but Willem Dafoe yeah I mean, okay yeah for sure let's get into it yeah, it. I, I was. I've been thinking. I mean, Willem Dafoe is one of those actors, that I think everybody just knows. I mean, they recognize him by face. For, oh yeah. You know, or whatever. And it's just, I, I, I had seen this movie for the first time in the last, and I would consider him to be one of my favorite actors of all time. And I had only seen this movie for the first time in the last, you know, couple months. Right. Um, and this almost feels like the definitive Dafoe. Dafoe performance at least as a villain mm. uh because he has so many you know he has so many you know villain roles but this one feels like almost the best probably right next probably like right in contention with wild at heart oh um,
0: bobby peru yes yeah Bobby <laughs> yeah. Peru.
1: Um, he, he's so he plays such a good villain in this because i know we there's the a criticism is of you know him being this artsy villain who lives in these these bizarre houses or whatever. yeah yeah but yeah he he does it so well and he does the you know he has the he has the presence down he's not overly expressive you know he's not yeah it's a very restrained crazy. performance very stoic yeah yeah um you know he shoots the guy in, in the dick <laughs> <laughs> you know i, I think I don't know if that had happened on film before, right? Uh, before this movie, <laughs> um, I, yeah.
0: I mean, the only other movie I can think of, of at least American movie, um, and th- yeah, and this was two years later was a RoboCop. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, he's this very stoic kind of lanky guy, but he's also just like strong too. Right. Like when he has that, you know, he has the fight in the in the guy's house who. Um, uh, who wasn't able to kill John Tortoro?
0: Yeah, you know. yeah, and that um, that that's a great scene too because it's like, um, it it shows how like um he was underestimated by the guy because the guy basically is like, oh, so what are you gonna do about it? You know? Yeah. Right. And then <laughs> he turns the tables on him and just like, man, <laughs> it's just yeah, brutally. And, and there's also these
1: him. uh, yeah. Well, uh, freaking thinks that he doesn't kill him in that scene because oh. he puts the. He puts the barrel of the gun in his mouth, and that it just cuts to him. He says, "You know, he says that suck on this until you can get me my forty thousand dollars." <laughs> and then it and then it immediately cuts to him, you know, burning the money. Right. Um, so, yeah, we. I mean, we don't know, but no, that, uh, that just, that's well played.
0: Yeah, I mean that that kind yeah. of ambiguity is another thing that I feel like, um, you know, freaking does very well and like is hardly ever done in movies these days. You know, that kind of subtlety
1: yeah and and i think he is kind of subtly showing masters kind of being a little fluid with his sexuality too Mm -hmm. um i mean there's a there's the whole voyeurism part of it you know where he records himself but there's a lot of you know uh, between the like they never really show him having you know intercourse with his his girlfriend um but they show like uh, I, i like they show like brief glimpses of it and there's several where you know where, where he's kind of seems to be receiving <laughs> um, right and, and you know the he has the uh you know he he puts the barrel in the in the guy's mouth and tells him you know what he says and then i think at one point he references something about peterson's uh package <laughs> 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 um it, you know, it's, it feels like a subtle play with it right in a way that that, that freaking would do
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, that kind of ambiguity is fascinating, too, that, um, you know, especially going back to the controversy of cruising, it it definitely is, like, a recurring motif in in Friedkin's work, you know, because he he ultimately makes movies about men. I I mean, you could argue that The Exorcist is about Reagan and she's the main character, or, I mean, even Ellen Burstyn, but... um, but yeah it is mainly about men like how they you know they they deal with each other at work and outside of work and you know there, there's definitely that line being towed and i mean you know um uh i would yeah. say like in your your next viewing of cruising to watch out for in uh pacino's performance and even just like the sequence that it happens is um uh like his first time uh like going to the, to the bar, you know? And then there's, there's even like a really comical scene, I think with, um, with Stacy Keach where, um, uh, Stacy Keach like explains all the different handkerchiefs and like what they mean, like, what are you trying to signal (laughs) and stuff? Yeah. 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 But, um, uh, just watch like how his character deals with that, like his first kind of experience with, with, um, that world and like how he kind of asserts his uh straightness you know so it, yeah. he i think uh freakin is fascinated by this uh thing of um you know being uh ambivalent sexually ambivalent you know uh right. you know right. um yeah. so it's not just that um it's ambiguous but it's also like uh the char- it's it's part of the character's conflict you know and i guess it it's it's, it's most in the forefront in, in um, cruising.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it is. I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind when watching yeah. it. And, and, it kind of, and keeping that in mind with, with, uh, with the foe in this one too. I mean, I think there also is kind of this whole, I mean, the, the whole, it's, it's for every character in the movie, kind of this, these people who are struggling with their identities, uh, you know, counterfeit people, counterfeit relationships, right. You know, counterfeit money, um, you know, he's kind of struggling, you know, he, like his whole profession is counterfeit uh, money, but he can't reckon you know, when he does create, you know, original art, you know, he burns it, mm-hmm. he, you know, he, he can't, uh, I, I don't know, it's like he can't reconcile, um, you know, his true intentions with the one thing that he knows that he actually yeah is which is a counterfeiter you know? yeah uh, my, my best artwork is is fake yeah i mean the, you, know.
0: The, you know as much as i feel like some people would dismiss the artist aspect of his character you know that you know it's freaking commenting oh, on like a narcissistic yeah, I, you know modern artist but the, oh i don't yeah no yeah i i feel like you you feel that way uh and i i i also feel that way too because it's just like um uh it's more about that, that ambiguity of like, you know, having conflict with your work in terms of like, you know, I think there was even like a comment that I forgot which character says it where, you know, they say that, that the painting is beautiful because I think one of his paintings actually reminds me of a, uh, a Bob Dylan uh, painting, you know, the one that he used for oh, an yeah. album cover. Uh, do you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of looks like that the one that he burns outside his house like on his porch or something, yeah. Um, Yeah. you know, and and I think somebody comments that, yeah, it's a beautiful work. But, you know, he like he can't see that hidden. And so he would rather destroy it. You know, he creates things to destroy and, you know, it's it's that that age old kind of maxim of like, you know, how it it takes, you know, much longer to create something and then you can destroy it in a few seconds, you know. Um,
1: Right. And yeah. And Freakin is is very much interested in the artist. Um, the uh, the artist who who makes all the paintings that you see in the movie is is Rainer Fetting. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and he actually he actually shows up in the movie for a brief second. Um, he's the he's the priest who brings uh, the milk and cookies uh, on the on the stake up. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the the artist that. Uh, that uh peterson talks to who's who says that he he's the one who kind of discovered masters in prison that he had talent i mean he's he's an i forgot forget what his name is but he's uh he's an artist that Friedkin actually uh really loves himself and actually owns uh you know some of his original paintings wow okay um, and he put he decided to put him in the booth.
0: yeah i mean this is the thing too that um uh you know i, I don't want to rag too much about like you know how it is now compared to before but i feel like uh Freakin's generation and like the generation after them like especially the action directors who emerged in the 80s like um verhoven and um john mctiernan and even like walter hill like they're all like very culturally literate you know it's like oh yeah sure. they have an appreciation for the arts and like you know i I'd never heard a John McTiernan commentary before, but when I did, like, I was blown away. I was like referencing Bergman, and like, it's like, damn, this guy's like really, you know, and Walter Hill as well, you know, like, you know, they, you mentioned uh, Marin, like, I think the Walter Hill, uh, interview is very good, and I think he was also on um, yeah, yeah Brett Easton Ellis's podcast as well, but yeah, mm-hmm. like these directors, like, you know, this is something that. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, just a weird way to tie it into, um, to Abbas Kiarostami, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Kiarostami had said this thing, like, in his great masterclass, 10 on 10, which is, like, available on, like, archive.org if you haven't seen it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, just him, like, discussing his views on film. But he he brings up this thing, and he actually he's trying to quote another director, but I've never heard these other directors say it, but I heard him say it. So I don't know, it doesn't really matter, but this is the message. So he was saying that Ermano Olmi, the Italian director is also one of my favorites, Uh, had said legend of the Holy Drinker. Yes, um, but yeah, I mean his his first two early films though are great, like uh, Il Posto and um, well third and, and uh, second. Tree of Wooden Clogs. Yeah, I'm not such a fan of Tree of Wooden Clogs, but the the two the early black and white movies are great, like Il Posto and um, I fidanzati is a, I think is a how it's pronounced. I'm butchering yeah. Italian, but um they're on Criterion, but only on DVD. They haven't been. Uh, uh, re-released on oh. blue but yeah, they're great, <laughs> especially El Posto because it has like a, a short film uh, called Lakota But anyway, we're <laughs> we're uh, digressing yeah, again. But um, yeah. so Kurosami said this about that. hermano Omi said um that the first generation of filmmakers lived life and made movies. The second generation of filmmakers uh watched the movies of the first generation, lived life and made movies. Uh. The <laughs> The third generation of filmmakers watched the movies of the previous generation, but stopped living life and made movies. And then the final generation, the current generation of filmmakers, don't live life. They don't watch the previous movies, and they just make movies.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's... And, and I hate to kind of... To, it almost feels reductive to do so because he's so oh, he's so right, um, and there I, I hate to kind of bring this up, but there's this film Twitter discussion I've seen today where oh it's, man, um where, it's, where someone was was commenting that, um, film students now you know the they don't they don't watch film, uh, they don't watch movies and they're not interested in movies as an art form, um, where. There's a lot of people just kind of sharing their their takes on on film school right now, and it's all people just who, you know, it it, it is Marvel like it's 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 people who purely see, uh, film as entertainment, which there's nothing wrong with that, but there's no they don't want to learn about film, they don't want to watch, <laughs> you know, um, films where you're gonna learn about film, um, they don't see it as an expressive. I Medium, mean, you know, or it almost seems like people don't see it as an art form anymore. And I'm so I'm so concerned if if that's really the case. Um, about and I, there, I know there's plenty of movies coming out, you know, great great films that are that are current. But it it does make you kind of worry about the history or the the, the future of film in that way, where it's like, you know, Kirstami said all that, and now it's like okay, now the next gener- generation of filmmakers is only Watching movies that have a, you know, multiverse, right? Um, Yeah, (laughs) and yeah, that which is just yeah, that
0: whole like copycat trendsetting aspect is just man. Um, Yeah, that that's definitely something that gets to me. And you know, just tying it back to the movie that I just rewatched today, Triple R, like that's an example of how a movie can be like entertaining and exciting, and you know, uh, be something completely different as well. You know, like it—it's not necessarily, you know, to be fair. Like, I—I I don't necessarily want to see a filmmaker like wear their influences on their sleeve, and me like trying to see, oh yeah, he—he, he, you know, he was inspired by this or you know that. Like, I would—I would actually prefer to see something that I've never seen before. But obviously, we now exist in this universe where. Um, you know, nothing is exists in a vacuum. Like everything comes from something else. Right. Um, so even if they're not watching movies and they make movies, they're they're taking it from something. You know, whether it be like uh TikTok or, you know, some YouTube sure. uh video or a meme. You know, it's like uh it's still coming from something. Uh, but yeah, when the the source material isn't that rich, and you know, you get these diminishing returns. You know.
1: Right, and there's there's something to be said about you know episodic television, uh you know or, or uh, prestige television as you know, as as cinema, or you know um, TikToks, some TikToks as short films. There's something to be said about about that. I and I don't uh, I I don't I, I don't want to totally write that off, um, because I think there's validity in that. There's validity in. There's also discourse today about the new Michael Bay movie. It's like, you know, oh yeah, there's just there's validity in just going to watch the new fucking action sure. movie and having a good time. Yeah. We all we all love, yeah. That. Not everything has to be you know about the art or about the right. history of cinema or whatever. But um, when you have people like William Friedkin, who are who are you know living their lives and appreciate appreciate art. So much where I'm bringing the the painter into the movie. I'm only using his paintings. Here's a painter that I love. I'm I'm featuring him in my film in a big way and actually tying him into the story. Um, and then after my film career, I'm it, it, even now he says he doesn't watch movies. Yeah, he just he directs operas. That's what he mm-hmm. does now. Um, I know he watches Guillermo del Toro's. <laughs> he's, he's, they're, they're they're right. I mean, they're they're actually yeah. they're, they're good friends, um, which is awesome to me um (laughs) um, yeah i mean but you know you have when you have had people like that and you know they they know the operas they know the plays mm. um you know and they know them on a deep level and then you have then you have and obviously things change the tides change times change whatever um but you have people who don't even care about that stuff they don't even see it as valid yeah you know right it it it's worrisome yeah for it's, sure it's a little sad yeah.
0: yeah um yeah i mean it's a dying breed but i i feel like there's still filmmakers out there that exist but yeah i think uh, of course yeah not. yeah yes. and i i and they're always yeah good. and our, i think our, our point of contention really is the the this is the dominant you know discourse right now is that you know there's a dumbing down yeah. because it's just like i mean uh i i am a participant on letterbox but you know you just look at the most popular reviews on the on that site and they're just like i lose brain cells you know <laughs> reading yeah, yeah. is just man um, yeah I, I i i'm so glad that letterbox has a block feature so i can just block all those reviewers because <laughs> it's just man i yeah, yeah i have nothing I, to... I, gotta,
1: I gotta utilize that yeah a more often yeah um and and, and you know the this whole style of, of of movie making, you know, it it's no longer marginalized. Like, it they mm-hmm. won, they have complete yes. dominance over exactly. you know, over the art form. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, 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 and we could go on and on, but it's just like, you see so many people, like, <laughs> so many uh, people who are mad about the way people have made fun of Morbius. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, shut the hell up. Yeah. You won. You know, you have complete dominance right. over the theaters. I, you know, I have to, you know, I have to drive to Chicago this weekend to see a David Lynch movie. <laughs> I mean, granted, you know the David Lynch movies aren't playing at all, in all theaters across across. Right. You know, but I gotta I gotta drive I gotta drive an hour and a half. I gotta pay like fifty dollars in parking. <laughs> I gotta drive, you know, two two and a half hours home because it's gonna be traffic. Oh just to go man. see, You know, see the closest thing I can get to art film. Right. <laughs> you know, near me. Yeah. Um. You know, it's just it's you know it, it's uh it's frustrating yeah uh but to live and die in la is a good movie yeah it totally is <laughs> Oh
0: man yeah i mean if people haven't seen it and especially uh, i hope that kino comes out with that 4k blu-ray soon it, yeah, um, it seems
1: like they announced that you know, a while almost a yeah year yeah at this point
0: so um uh yeah i hope when that comes out that that introduces it to a new audience um because yeah, I I mean I, I think it, it definitely is. Where would you rank it? You would say on um your Friedkin scale.
1: Um, hmm. I, I, there's still some some uh, um, some ones that I that I really do need to see. But I think I would put it. Uh, I think I would probably go the exorcist sorcerer to live and die in la um the french connection um the hunted and killer joe oh i haven't I
0: mean, those oh my god i haven't seen the hunted
1: it's it's you know it's it's not it's not his best movie mm-hmm. it, it is very much like a like a kind of like a standard action chase movie but mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones is so he's just he's just great in it. Del Toro's great in it. Oh man! Great. Um,
0: Why have I not yeah, heard no, of it's, this? It's very good. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, it's great! Yeah, it's great. Man.
1: It's, a, it's a it's a pretty tight ninety, if I remember right. It's a pretty tight ninety. Damn! Right. It's yeah, yeah, it's just a really economical thriller, and um, and uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. It's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I, um, I love the cast. Look oh, at I'm waiting to... The tagline for this movie: "Some men should not be found." That's, that's
0: sick. <laughs> I mean, do you know the tagline to "Um, to live and die in L.A." Oh uh, my god! Hold on, let me bring it up. <laughs> Shit, it was so good. Um, the tagline is. Uh, hold on, I'm gonna have to cut this out. <laughs> um, oh, where did I see that tagline? Uh, is it on Waterbox? Um, I think I saw it on IMDb. Oh, oh, here it is. Okay. Detroit, Chicago, New York, Miami were like this. This is the city of angels. This is LA.
1: <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and then, yeah, there's more. Yeah, there's another one. The director of the French Connection is on the streets again. <laughs> <laughs> a federal agent is dead. A killer is loose. And the city of angels is about to explode.
1: <laughs> that one rules. I
0: love that. One. Yeah. That's oh, great. man. I, I, I don't it. even remember what was on the. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. That was on the poster. Yeah. That was the, the, the one that was originally on the poster. But yeah, the the one where it's naming other cities. Like, what the hell? Like, where did that yeah, come from? I don't from? quite understand
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I. I... There, uh, there's uh i, I just kind of to put a knot on uh or a ribbon or a bow or whatever on on to live and die in la i mean for me it's just it's this um it's just this, this really full descent um of all of these characters and i think the more that you watch it um the more complex you understand these people to be and how destructive they are <laughs> um and how kind of existential it it starts to get. Um, And not to mention the just absolutely beautiful cinematography and the great score that contrasts with those ideas. Um, You definitely feel like these people are going down in flames. Um, and um, But if you want to watch it as just like a great action movie, I mean yeah it's, it's there too i mean you get it's, it's yeah all it us. works it's a great yeah. package <laughs> yeah it works
0: works both ways and i think yeah the the first viewing i i was definitely more in the latter where i was like oh yeah it's just this good like police thriller um you know uh cop trying to hunt down his perp but um yeah the second time around i definitely got more of those vibes i guess also the first time around um i had just moved back to southern california right. so um, it was all new to me again and like um, I was still like orienting myself but now I think I've gotten to know the city a lot better um, than I ever did because um, I don't even know if I mentioned this in a previous episode but I had driven Lyft and Uber and um, you know that helped in terms of getting to know the right. city um, so I'm now familiar with like the different neighborhoods and um, you know just like in Los Angeles Place itself he's it's like well, you know, I feel like I have the right to criticize how movies portray the city because I live here. Right. You know, um, so yeah, I mean, I I feel like um, William Friedkin, even though in Los Angeles plays itself, Tom Anderson kind of, you know, berates Friedkin on his portrayal. Like, I I actually feel like he was very respectful of the city. He was like true to the geography he focused on a neighborhood that rarely gets shown in the movies other than the the Vincent Thomas Bridge mm-hmm. um uh so yeah like i i really feel like um uh I, yeah he hasn't really made many movies where la is this um like central to the movie i feel you know where it, you know it's in the title obviously but um at the same time yeah i think he he also senses the decadence of the city and just how, um yeah, you, you can waste away here too. You know, <laughs> that, that's a, a different possibility that, that can happen because you're, you know, you, you get lulled into this, this sense of comfort with the weather, you know, right. and then eventually, yeah, there's all these, yeah, the undercurrent that he shows in the movie where there's crime and murder happening all around you you know it's not like just this beautiful paradise and not everybody lives by the beach you know <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah.
1: It, it, it's um and it doesn't feel directly critical of the city either um but no but it just portrays no, no if anything it actually i feel like yeah it, it it's very
0: a uh, truth the locals yeah. i would say like you know i mean there's a lot of scenes that takes place in like uh you know dive bars and you know, um, so, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, I feel like it, it's very respectful. Yeah,
1: um, but, but, yeah, just, I mean, just showing just, yeah, like you said, the people just w- can just waste away. They just get lost in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, you can have a car chase and um, uh, end up uh, coming across some dudes randomly listening to reggae. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was the other thing, too, that I guess is, like, the main difference from, from seeing LA from the outside and then moving here like how much of a a staple car chases are man like um you know i i've basically seen car chases you know um live right in front of me and then you know it's just a thing on the news like i even follow actually a twitter which is called the yeah. chase alerts which just tells you when there's a car chase on the news and you put it on and it's just like this car chase and it's just crazy yeah. have yeah. you ever have you ever gotten yeah. of a car chase um, I mean, the closest that I, I've, I've been was basically I was on a freeway and there was this guy who and this actually happened recently. Um, he was going the wrong way on the freeway and they had to shut the freeway down. So we were just like stuck in traffic because he was driving against traffic, you know, and, you know, that, that can be dangerous because, you know, obviously these it, that's always what you're waiting for is when like the, the chase is going to end. You know, because what what's it gonna take? Like, I mean, I've seen chases where basically like their tires have blown out and they're just driving yeah. on their rims, oh you know, <laughs> and like that kind of crazy shit, or like, um, yeah, uh, the they they just basically find a neighborhood where they feel like they can duck and dive into and just they all jump out and you know that's also part of the surprise of a car chase is like who gets out of the car <laughs> as always and, in you know it's, it's like all, how it's many always the one you see on youtube yeah on the
1: news. it's always in la
0: <laughs> yeah exactly it's just a staple here you know car chases are a thing you know um so yeah it's very appropriate that william freaking brought his talents here uh to, to film yeah one of the most memorable car chases i think in oh, yeah, in definitely. la movies i
1: got entangled in a car chase well, well, here actually once oh you did where I oh was, wow i was in a lane and then um i was about to turn and then a car just kind of like sped right around me as i was turning and i had to like i had to fork it real quick and he he went wow. around the corner, squealing those tires he's throwing things out the window and <laughs> and then the, and then the next thing I know there's one cop car that passes me and goes straight and then one that follows her <laughs> around and I was like oh jeez. I was like yeah it was it was scary man. Um
0: man yeah yeah. Yeah, I mean um I I that that is one of the things that that's covered a lot in LA movies I think is that how much time the citizens have to to be in their cars, you know, you live your life yeah. outside in, in, you know, in your car so um yeah the fact that that that's what happens it's like um you you're if you're out in the road enough you're going to encounter something like that you know um yeah. yeah all right man so do you have any more thoughts on on to live and die in la
1: um i you know i could continue on um <laughs> but we are at almost two and a half hours and yes exactly i, I, I think yeah. we, if, if we wanted to we could easily go another hour sure hour. yeah <laughs> yeah but
0: it, it's probably getting late for you um, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It, yeah, it
1: is. but um, mm-hmm. uh, I think we covered "To Live and Die LA in" in a, a decent amount. There's so much more to talk about. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of an endless movie, right? Um, but uh, I would say that, um, Friedkin as a filmmaker, um, I don't want him to be lost. You know what I mean? Yes. And I, f- I feel like, I feel like he might be going down that road, uh, where he's he is one of the greats and you just don't hear um, him referred to that way too much uh, anymore. And um, if, if anyone who's listening is ever on the fence about him, I mean, I take your time with his movies. I, I, I I never jump too crazily into someone's filmography. Um, Would you, but would you say he, I am kind of jumping in. um, Right. I'm being starting to be kind of a completionist with this stuff. Yeah.
0: Um, As a starting point, would you say should people jump into like the big hitters first or should they go for something a little more, you know, obscure?
1: You know, I think, I think going, I think going French Connection first. Sure. Is a good, is a good start. And Hmm. then, I mean, maybe start with the, with the cop movies and then go to The Exorcist. I mean, if you haven't seen The Exorcist already. Yeah. Um, I think you can you can get a sense of his style through those movies and how he applies it to um to, to, to other genres. I mean he yeah. really creates that sense of fear in his non horror movies where he's kind of it's not exactly horror, it's just he's cultivating fear and then yeah, he just and lets that's... all of it out with the exorcist too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean the the sense of dread, he's so good at that, you know. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah that's incredible. one of his trademarks, yeah, I feel. Yeah. And I mean yeah, every film he makes has some element of of horror in it, I feel, you know. I mean, you were just pointing out the stuff in in uh, to Live and Die in LA. Um but yeah, I mean, I would say even Sorcerer has horror elements, you know. Um Oh, definitely. But it's yeah. Yeah. And um yeah, even cruising, you know, <laughs> as yeah. controversial as that sounds, you know, yeah. cruising yeah. does feel like a horror movie. It's like an urban nightmare. Um, yeah, yeah I-, I would probably go the opposite and just uh, actually tell people to to start with Sorcerer.
2: <laughs> just oh, really? because... yeah.
0: yeah, just like dive in. Yeah, start with Sorcerer, especially because, yeah, I- again, we-, we talk about like, um, you know, filmmakers that are yeah. a dying breed. Like the fact that this movie takes its time and starts so slowly with a prologue that, um, you know, has something to do with the movie, but it it's almost like in, indirectly. Yeah, you don't related. understand it
1: until far right. later in the movie.
0: Right, right. So, um, yeah, I it it's just to me like it, it's also not not only because of my bias of it being my favorite freaking movie, but, yeah. um the fact that um i i feel like there's something about the forgotten movies where because it hasn't gotten that much coverage as like the classics like french connection or Mm -hmm. or exorcist like uh people can approach it with with fresher like eyes um than they they could with something where it's like everybody's already telling you that this is great and you know uh, I think that that's one of the pitfalls of, of cinephilia is like, um, you know, when, when a movie's so hyped and then, you know, you, you kind of question, it's like, well, why don't I feel the same way? And then that, um, I don't know, I've gone through that phase in, in, in my movie watching life where, um, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't really like this movie as much as other people do. But then like, I, I don't really voice that opinion, i mean i did that in the past but not anymore but like back then i was just like yeah maybe you know it's because i'm i'm under the influence of all these other opinions that have already come before uh but because sorcerer is this movie that you know was forgotten um yeah i i feel like um people can can approach it with with a fresh perspective
1: definitely I, i i just yeah i mean i can't agree more um and especially with sorcerer i think if you were to take that movie as your first watch and just see just you might want to quit but see it all the way through and you'll appreciate it and, yes. I, and i believe it's the longest of the freak kid movies and i think you'll just be able to blow through the oh rest, yeah you know you'll be able to blow through the rest and I right think you'll have a, a really great appreciation and yeah and like you said just the you don't want to lose these things i mean these things are precious um yeah um, I was I was, right. I was reading an article the other day where it's like I think it's it Scorsese's Film Institute whatever they put out this report or whatever it was like 90% of movies made before 1925 are lost um, like completely where it's just oh, like man. insane to think about and you know right uh, we're lucky that we have these ones um, <laughs> we're very lucky right um, yeah 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 um, I would also say, if you're interested in freaking, listen to him talk. Uh, yes. Go, go listen yeah. to the to the Marin episode. He's a great storyteller. He's funny. He's very funny. Um, mm-hmm. It's a great conversation with Marin. Uh, search out the, his conversation with Guillermo del Toro. Um, yeah. That one is a really great conversation. It's about an hour and a half. Um, I, I forget which podcast that hosts it. Yeah. Um, um, mm. Because it's it, it was some podcast that hosts, like, conversations. Um, but it's just between the two of them, and it's it's great. And he tells, he tells some, some of the more rare stories about um, about his career, and, and, and particularly The Exorcist. Um, and then the other one I would say is uh, his Kermode, um, Kermode on film uh, episodes that he's on. Uh, very good. He tells a story on that one about um, when he won Best Director, uh at the 1972 Hmm. academy awards and before because i before it happened they were going to commercial break or whatever and they had a surprise for all the directors um uh that they said and no one knew what it was and then um they were all kind of standing around backstage and then um they said okay you know here we go and uh charlie chaplin walked into the room um wow and you know that's 1972 he died just a few years later right um okay and uh it's a very touching story uh, the way that he tells it and it's 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 really incredible i think all right uh, yeah chaplin that... presented that year for directing too he may have no he didn't present it for directing he did something uh at that uh ceremony i don't remember what it was um yeah man that's amazing yeah i love hearing
0: these stories too of like um you know generations of directors who have like lived through eras and like them crossing paths i mean i feel like back then it was a lot more significant than it is now like you know i mean people made such a big deal of that kind of film festival where um uh robert Bresson and tarkovsky like shared a stage yeah. you know um i think that was 83 um so yeah definitely like those are very touching i mean now you know everybody's accessible through social media it seems like so you know it's not such a big story
1: itself i mean you can tell that he really cherished the moment um and then he says in it um that I, i think it was john schlesinger or peter bogdanovich i don't remember it's it was one of the two um where um he had they had said to charlie chaplin that um, that their kids had had seen the movie, and um, and they think they're so hilarious, and they always, you know, laugh so hard. And it, uh, according to Friedkin, uh, Charlie Chaplin started tearing up. And, wow! You
0: know, cause, cause he's, that sounds more like Bogdanovich, yeah, I feel might, than yeah, than was <laughs> <I don't remember. laughs>
1: Yeah, Bogdanovich was
0: the original like fanboy yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. director. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like it would be him. Um. Yeah. No. That's great. And I mean, just to add to that, I would say like um I I like what I came across um, uh in my research for this episode. Like um, there's a there's a master class that uh, William Friedkin does. I think for a a film festival in Lithuania. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's on YouTube. It's like uh, I guess an hour and a half as well, or close to two hours. So that's worth listening to. Um. Uh. Th- there was this clip that I saw r- with regards to. Uh, I think it was like for French TV or something, with regards to the the counterfeiting uh, <laughs> to live and die oh. in L.A. Um. Yeah. And like, it- it's basically him like kind of uh making a full confession that hey, yeah, we we counterfeited money. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's great, you know. And then um, and then uh, I would say also like I think it's a special feature on the the british uh blu-ray release of um of uh of sorcerer where um nicholas winding refin has a conversation with with freaking yeah yeah
1: it's, there's a very funny moment in that interview. yeah exactly <laughs> the, the
0: one where he basically puts him in his place which is yeah. He'll, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so it's it's from that so it's great. um so yeah those are
1: all worth seeking I, out I'm gonna, that, that reminds me i'm gonna say one more thing about william friedkin okay yeah it's his uh it was his interaction with darren aronofsky that really i don't like darren aronofsky really um already and this was the one that kind of put me over the edge of my kind of disdain for him um is Friedkin did the directors the dga directors q a after the showing of mother and whatever. He oh, had that wow. Was. That's um, wild. And you know, Friedkin's like, he's like, because you know Aronofsky, right? Yeah. He tries to act like he, like, nothing that he puts in his movies was on purpose or that there's no symbolism at all and it's all just his chance. Right, right. Um, so Friedkin is going like is saying essentially okay there's all this obvious you know biblical references and imagery you know kind of and he's kind of kind of trying to get a response out of him like what is you know you don't have to say what it's about but what is your relationship with that and how does that kind of tie into the film not exploit, not like explain the film and Aronofsky's just yeah. being such a fucking ass about <laughs> about that and um and uh it's. He made some offhanded remark about freaking believing in the devil or something. And it's just really oh, annoying. Man. And it's it's just really annoying. I got to listen to that. Because, yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely listened to several of these DGA
0: conversations. And it's mostly, like, directors kissing each other's asses, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, like, they never have anything critical to say. But, yeah, that one seems like it's a very bristly conversation. And I want to listen to that for sure. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, those those conversations are very cookie cutter, like they they limit them to like half an hour, you know, and I, I don't think they include like questions from the audience um sometimes uh, yeah yeah, sometimes sometimes. they do but yeah like mostly it's just the directors like yeah basically saying, oh you made such a great movie and blah 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 and it's like come on man (laughs) yeah no that's great yeah i'll definitely listen to that All right, then. So I guess uh, that's a good point to, to end that. Um, do you want to share anything that you're up to, Brandon, or like your socials?
1: Um, yeah. So um, um, there's the, L- the Losing Track pod- podcast is out there. We haven't done episodes in quite a while. I I don't know what's in the future for that, but I'm trying to get back in- into podcasting. You know, uh, Carlo, thank you so much Um I mean, oh, yeah thanks been, uh, for joining us you've been on uh you've been on my podcast a couple times um, yes that was fun and uh yeah some some great episodes some of the some of our best episodes actually oh wow uh, that's high and, praise uh, thank you <laughs> yeah so people can go you can go find that carl did the the adjuster with us and the, the card counter um yes so so go search it out but thank you so much yeah. for having me um yeah well thanks um, for giving us your time brandon
0: uh, i know you're very busy <laughs> yeah so. no of course
1: yeah and um you know carlo is such a good friend um just for the listeners out there we just we will Aww. send we will send each other just kind of movies and shit uh, you know blu-rays dvds you know to each other here and there and um, my birthday is tomorrow and i got uh, these yeah lovely, man i got these lovely packages from carlo in the mail damn okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was saving it carlo to plug oh man you, to good plug thing your it, own it- uh,
0: yeah, it's your birthday right now because oh, yeah, is, in the yes. central time it's past midnight. So, yes, yes. So I yeah, that's we, feel... we. That's amazing that we landed on your birthday during the episode. Wow, that's
1: great. It's great. It's the, oh it's, man, uh, it's that's the best birthday present of all. Oh but, uh, wow, I'm glad, you man. Got me this uh this Arrow edition of Clown uh, with a K. I for- can't tell who directed. Yes, this. I forget, but we've talked about it plenty, and I've I'm yes, for me and to watch. actually.
0: Yeah, it's good that you brought it up because that's the movie I want to cover on fa- on the Father's Day uh, episode. So. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> yeah, i yeah.
1: I'll, I'll 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 save it then. I'll save it. No, I mean <laughs> it,
0: it's a movie that you can watch and rewatch. Right, it's right, it's right, one right. of those movies. Like it's infinitely rewatchable. And then uh what's great about that edition is that it includes an episode from the series because it's it's based on a TV show from Denmark. Um so yeah. I mean it's crazy that they've already done like a whole trilogy oh, wow. of um them. The second clown movie isn't as good, but the third one I don't know yet because um uh there's n- not really good subtitles that exist for it. Like they only have like machine translated subtitles for the third one. So and yeah, I don't even know if these movies were ever released like theatrically stateside. Um Yeah, I've got yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But to me, yeah, this this uh the first one is just an instant classic to me it's it's one of my favorites i'm already spoiling the episode but you know um, um yeah definitely I'll, watch I'll, that we will
1: definitely get on it then and yeah as well carlo knows my music tastes pretty well um <laughs> he's got me this uh this and i won't go into the whole defending spiel because uh, it's hard to do <laughs> um but right. the morrissey suede head um uh, seven inch single here and yes it looks like the the japanese edition of uh low in high school which is, yeah. which, is a, which is a pretty great record i know it's it's his new stuff isn't isn't uh isn't uh it at least his last album it was not yeah new. i i haven't listened no, to it because i got one's pretty good this one's pretty good
0: okay yeah i just found it so funny that it's in japanese that it's yeah, like, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah but and the yeah name you of would the album
1: know is, the, the name of the album is still in english
0: english right? yeah but the artist yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> name yeah. morrissey is in japanese yes yeah that's incredible yeah.
1: no it's a, it's a great record and suede head is you know like like most morrissey fans that's the that's the song that did us it so. Awesome, man. Well,
0: I'm glad you're enjoying your gifts. And uh, actually, there's one more. That's, oh my uh... <laughs> gosh!
1: It got separated uh, with the rest. Yeah, yeah. A little, a little uh, trailer,
0: but uh, eventually we'll get there. So, yeah,
1: I'll make sure to, to talk about it on the next episode.
0: <laughs> awesome, man. All right. Well, happy birthday, Brandon. Thanks. Man. And thanks Thank again you.
1: for for being on the show.